This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Happy Friday. It's Friday. We made it. Another week, folks. On this crazy thing we call Earth. And man, have we got a great show for you today. We're going to cover everything from fracking to Joan of Arc to the latest movies and the greatest movies coming out uh, on DVD. To the downfall of civilization because of swearing. To the downfall of civilization because of swearing. Yeah. I did not know we were covering that. Rod Gustafson. Oh, he wrote yeah. a piece on his website. We're going to talk about it. That, yeah. I was thinking we have another guest. No, about swearing. I thought it, you were saying because I said fracking that you thought I had just sworn or something. Well, there's that too. There, there is a popular sci-fi TV show where that was used as a stand-in. Oh, really? For other language, yes. Some people don't even know what fracking is. That's kind of why we're doing the uh, the, the segment show. because I, I think you hear the word, you hear it. But you don't know exactly what it is. You always hear environmentalists talk about it. Yes. They're oh, not and I think Donald fans. Trump brings it up, doesn't he? Was it Ohio? That it was. He brings it up because he claims that is why John Kasich has had such success in Ohio is yeah. because fracking has saved you. He said that multiple times in the uh, debates. So what is fracking? We will be talking about it. It is another way to extract oil and gas, I guess, from Mother Earth. I mean, fracking. I, I believe it's the idea like normal pumping, mm-hmm. there's limits. Yeah, you can only get – you can't get every crevice. And fracking lets you go get more. More. To pull more out of that, uh, that, that I guess, the hole where you're digging for more oil. Yeah. So it's – we'll find out. We have a guy coming in. He knows what he's talking he's about. He's a geologist. He knows. Dr. Thomas Morris, he'll be with us. And then the added situation of somehow Oklahoma has become a hotbed for earthquakes. It's weird. It's also a hotbed for fracking. And it coincides with when they started fracking. Yeah. It's a big deal because they're, they're expecting there to be um, – uh, the, there's a high potential, 5 to 10 percent chance of a serious earthquake in that area this year. And the U.S. – That's scary numbers. U.S. Geologic Survey put out a map. You have it there. Yeah. Where it shows – Hotbeds for earthquakes, California and, you know, Oklahoma, because, you know, it's Oklahoma. It's Oklahoma. When you think of earthquakes. You think California. You think Oklahoma. Now you think, yeah. When you think of fracking, you think Oklahoma. Yeah. There's been other situations where does it contaminate the water supply? Does Mm -hmm. it, you know, so. We'll find out. We'll ask. We'll get into that. Plus, Joan of Arc, my new hero. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. Next hour, we'll be talking with uh, a, a filmmaker. BYU did an original special uh, called Joan of Arc, and it tells the, the incredible story of Joan of Arc and how even politics back then took a saint, basically. So politics today takes just the virtue of all Americans, and politics back then took the <laughs> virtue of Joan of Arc. There you go. <sighs> Horrible deal. Hey, um, did you hear what the Pope said? I read some of it. Powerful. This, yeah. I'm telling you, they they knew Pope Francis would up, you know tip over the apple cart a bit here. 
It's pretty amazing what he's doing. He has now opened the doors even wider, more tolerance he's asking for from the priests to be more accepting of gays and lesbians, of divorced Catholics, and other people living in what the church considers irregular situations. Now, he's not forgiving. He's not changing, not necessarily. But but it's the idea of— It's, it's the camel's nose in the tent. Is it the love the sinner, not mm-hmm. the sin concept? It's the path of Jesus. Let's just go. not use these problems to beat people up. Don't hate. Mm -hmm. He needs a T-shirt. This is what he says. A pastor – listen to this. A pastor cannot feel that it is enough simply to apply moral laws as if they were stones to throw at people's lives. By thinking that everything is black and white, we sometimes close off the way of grace and growth. This is Pope Francis. He emphasizes that unjust discrimination against gays and lesbians is unacceptable. It downplays the idea of living in sin um, and suggests that priests should use their own discretion on whether divorced Catholics in new marriages can take communion. That's a big deal. I mean, think of all of these historically, that these divorced Catholics in new marriages that were not taking their communion. It's powerful. There's probably a lot of Relieved people and now, but now it's you know the convincing of each priest to open their minds as well. So wow, things are changing in the Catholic Church as well. And again, uh, Pope Francis is a um, what is he a, a Jesuit priest? So uh, used to working with the poorest of the poor and being on the street and seeing it. So powerful, interesting. Um, again, you gotta love it too because he's from Argentina. Why? Argentina is second – it's second to the United States as God's country. Oh, and Canada, of course, and Mexico. What but they mean? lost to Germany in soccer. Huh? Well, there's yeah. that. I don't see how God's country could lose to Germany in soccer. God's yeah. country has the great Diego Maradona that Place. had the hand of God. Involved yes. in a goal that won. He, he the violated the rules of the game and no one called no, him on it. No, he didn't. It was the hand of God. <laughs> I love that. The hand of God punched the ball into the You see the, the video. It the ball clever. comes up. The guy touches it with his hand. It was awesome. Nobody calls it. They score the goal and everyone's like, it was meant to be. He cheated and it's fine. Do you remember in little, like in soccer, when somebody so hit the ball with that. their hands, they'd all yell, hands, hands. Yeah. But he just yelled, hands of God. Or in my case as a kid, I'd just catch the ball. Yeah. As it was kicked at me, I'd go, look, I caught it. You didn't know oh, the soccer rules. <laughs> it's like, keep Terry away from the ball, you guys. Well, they call it football, but oh, well. it's sad. Hey, um, speaking of sports, the Warriors, they did it. Second team ever to win 70 games. <laughs> oh, they're good. they're good. They beat the Spurs, best defense in the NBA. But because of earlier stumbles, they have to win out. They have to win the rest. They have to, what, they have two games against the Grizzlies who are injured. They got that one. And one more against the Spurs. But you mean they have to win out the rest in order to take... There's three more games yeah. in the season. Because the, the record's they want to get 72? The, yeah. They have to win all the games to set the record. They'll do that. Who's the other team? Memphis Grizzlies. Uh-huh. And then one more with the Spurs to finish the season. That's where they need the hand of God again. Did you see the game last night? No. Somebody, I can't, who, one of the big players on the Spurs had a shot blocked huh. and dislocated his pinky. 
Ooh. And walked away with like his pinky poking the wrong way. Did they grab it on the bench and and they fixed it and they in? put him back and they, he was back in the game? Yeah, those are gross. It's just bad when a guy waves and he looks like he's pointing to the exit. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> they'll, they'll dislocate their pinky. It's pointed to the left, even though it's yeah. not supposed to be. And then they walk over and the trainer like they look around to see where the camera is. They turn their back and then you see him like. Just kind of pop it, and the guy's like, ah, and then he's like, oh, cool, and then run back in the game, and everyone just cringes. So three games, they could be the best team ever. Record-wise. Record-wise. But some feel that the Memphis Grizzlies Mm -hmm. don't want to help them in that way, and the Memphis Grizzlies have a tendency to play really rough. Do they? Hard fouls. Bodies will hit the floor. Oh, boy. Flagrant ones and two foul. I'm all kinds of fingers are going to be pointing the wrong direction. So if you want to watch some combat basketball, three more games. Do you go for that at the expense of your team at your championship opportunities? Yes. Or do you just is this one you should just be backing down? No, I think think you go. Well, now you got to go for it. It's three more games within reason. Go for it. I would have given this up years. And the Spurs have already said they're going to play all their players. The Spurs have a tendency to start sitting Mm -hmm. their veteran players once the playoff situation is all settled because they're not. There's nothing to play for. They're playing all their their players the rest of the season. They said everyone's on board. Oh my heavens! They want to stop them. Well, that is that's going to be you know the four. The foreshadowing of the championship game, maybe. Well, no, because they're both in the oh, West. That's right. Well, the championship of the West. Possibly, yeah. <laughs> Why don't you bring up something about Germany now? Yeah, go ahead. Ben. Germany, bring it. Always bringing Germany into this. Nothing? Okay. Nothing. How's Germany basketball? I, I don't want to make you guys feel bad. I'll Good. just let you guys Good. Glad. Thank stay you. in your ignorance. We're short on time now. Later in the show, yeah. we have to talk about the car chase in Los Angeles yesterday. Oh, I did not hear about that. I, I gave you a little rundown on it, but we'll talk about you it did? later. It was awesome. I watched it on my phone for almost 30, 40 minutes. I, I, they're still filming car chases? I thought yeah. we, they backed off of that. No. They have helicopters. It's fine. It, it makes great television. The police, the police back off, but the, the news, they're all over it. Wow. We'll talk about it coming up. It's oh, funny. I see it. Yes. We'll talk about it. <laughs> it was really okay. good. Let's, uh, let's do this. Let's get to the headlines, Terry. What else is going on around the rest of the world that we need to be paying attention to? President Barack Obama accused Senate Republicans on Thursday of jeopardizing the integrity of the judicial branch by refusing to consider his extraordinary nominee to the Supreme Court. If you start getting into a situation in which the, the process of appointing judges is so broken, so partisan, that... A eminently qualified jurist cannot even get a hearing, then we are going to see the kinds of sharp partisan polarization that have come to characterize our electoral politics seeping entirely into the judicial system. And uh, the courts will be just an extension of our legislatures and our elections. He, he points out that if the Republicans do this now, then when the situation is shifted... Yeah. What's going to stop the Democrats from doing the same thing? And then the Republicans the next time are going to retaliate, and it'll never end. And we'll get this thing oh, where the judicial I appointment system so, never moves forward. So he would like the Republicans to be the bigger people and do what the Democrats haven't done. He feels that he has taken a step forward by putting forth a candidate that the Republicans said they would support. Hmm. At one point, uh, Senator Orrin Hatch mentioned Garrett. Or yeah, Garland yeah. and said he goes that's a that's a candidate he would never even think of and then he put then Obama puts him forward as the candidate yeah as the nominee 
So he feels like he's reaching out and they're not even trying. And mm. he would he would like to end the hostilities so they can actually function as a government. Yeah. Now people see those motivations as him just sure. trying to politicize things, but that's kind of what the well, point it was. What a, the, honestly, seriously, what a novel idea that we start working together yeah. in the eighth year <laughs> right. of the president's term after all this time. Hmm. Uh, moving on, presidential candidate Bernie Sanders has accepted an invitation from the Vatican to visit the historic city next week to talk about issues social, economic, and environmental. Pope Francis made clear that we must overcome the globalization of indifference in order to reduce economic inequality, wow. stop financial corruption, and protect the na- natural environment, Sanders said on Friday. That is our challenge in the United States and in the world. That's incredible. That's I wonder if Trump will be invited. I don't know. I doubt it. I doubt it. There may, maybe some political messages that don't line up. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. A new Associated Press, well, speaking of Trump, a new Associated Press poll released Thursday found that around 7 out of 10 Americans don't like the Republican presidential candidate Donald Trump. According to a poll, nearly half of the GOP voters view him unfavorably, while more than 60% of registered voters, 31% of Republicans said that they uh, definitely would not vote for him in the general election. Hmm. In the South, nearly 70% have a negative opinion of the candidate and 55% of whites without a college education, one of Trump's biggest voting blocs, also view him unfavorably. The negative opinion was shared by majorities of men and women, young and old, conservatives, moderate, liberals, whites, Hispanics, and blacks. Well. If you're Republican and Tea Party, you like him. You like him. But. Uh, basically across the board, all demographics have a negative opinion <laughs> does, of Mr. Does Trump. Donald know this? He does. Okay. I don't know what they're trying to do to correct yeah. the, uh, the, the viewpoint of people, but that's the current situation. <laughs> so. <laughs> Uh, Two social psychologists at Knox College conducted the first ever empirical study of creepiness. Ooh, Ben, listen up, bud. Publishing their findings, uh, the researchers surveyed more than 1,300 people around the world about people and things that creep them out. Here are some of the results. Clowns, taxidermists, funeral directors. Yeah. So. uh, Board operators. Repeated lip licking. Repeated lip licking is yep. a little creepy. People that lick their uh, lips a lot. It's like lizard like. Kind of creeps people out. Violating personal space, which happens yeah. a lot around here. Oh, yeah. Uh, laughing at the wrong times. Inappropriate laughing totally tricks people bad. out. Also creepy, bulging eyes. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> Long fingers, <laughs> greasy hair, and pale skin. Wow. <laughs> That's Ben, right? Laughing at the wrong time. Yeah. According, according to Business Insider, 95% of respondents believe creepy people are more likely to be men. Yeah. Researchers concluded that un- unpredictably, it's a big reason why things and people get labeled as creepy. Wow. So just... It's, oh. it's going to be... That's do, good. Cr- do clowns creep you out? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think that, clowns that's... Clowns that lick their lips a lot with long fingers, they freak me out. As the study puts it, being creeped out is an evolved response that enables us to maintain vigilance during times of uncertainty. <laughs> there you go. Why is he laughing uh, again? I don't know. So during times of uncertainty, we think something's creepy, yeah. and that's to help us kind of uh, self-protect. Oh, yeah. That explains it. Yeah. Does Creep- that not tell you? Like, that's why we feel so weird. Around Ben? Yeah. Yeah. In this studio. It's kind of creepy. He's over there with his... Pale skin and long fingers. Licking his lips. Yeah. Bulging eyes. Every two minutes. (laughs) Ben, interesting. I have no words for this. 
Good. You know what? That's great news. Um, I'm glad that we finally documented it because I was just worried. Oh, poor Ben. But he's famous because he's got listeners that love him. Even my bulging eyes. <laughs> that is crazy creepy. The study on creeps, folks. You got it here on the Matt Townsend Show. You would not get that information on any other show. That's how that's how good we are. We're going to take a break. When we come up, come back, we're going to be talking with Dr. Thomas Moore from Brigham Young University. He is a professor of geology here. He's going to be instructing us on fracking, filling us in on what really is fracking. Is it worth the fuel that we receive, uh, that we get from the fracking method? Uh, is, is it worth it? Is it worth the cost of what it does to the environment? Maybe the uh, contamination of our water system and also potential for earthquakes. He'll be filling us in on the entire thing. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, you know, fracking is the process of drilling that the U.S. Uh, it, it's it's even more than the process of drilling, but it's what we've been using. Uh, to to really push the uh, oil and gas industry here in the United States. Uh, fracking has been responsible for much of the surge in recent years. In fact, uh, even here, like in Utah, 45,000 acres of public land was just approved for fracking in 2015. And we hear a lot about it. Environmentally, you hear about it. Um, but one of the hot topics that's been coming up uh, recently is the fact that it may be causing earthquakes. It may be causing water contamination. And uh, there's, there's a lot of environmentalists that are opposed to it for a variety of reasons. Um, and we wanted to bring in an expert that could walk us through what is fracking. We've been trying to do this topic forever. It's just hard to find somebody that can do it. We finally found Dr. Thomas, uh, Dr. Thomas Morris, who's a professor of geology here at Brigham Young University. He also um, spent some uh, years uh, as a senior petroleum geologist with a major um, oil producer in the Eastern Production Division in, the New, or- in New Orleans. And uh, he's here to walk us through Fracking 101. Dr. Thomas Morris, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thanks, Matt. It's good to be here. Great to have you here. And um, we appreciate your knowledge on this. Now, just for all of us lay men and women, what is fracking? Explain it. Fracking is the engineering process, really, whereby um, you enter a rock that is impermeable. And impermeable means that the fluid that is in the rock, whether it be natural gas or whether it be oil, uh, doesn't have the ability to move through the rock. It may be there and it may be plentiful within the rock, but it doesn't move to the wellbore. So you you drill a well and nowadays we can come in horizontally rather than vertically through the rock formation. We come in horizontally and we follow a given bed for up to a mile, mile and a half. And we do what they call a multiple-stage frack. We, we uh, really build the water pressure hydraulically that's in the open wellbore. And the water pressure itself f- fractures the rock. And that induces permeability. It induces the ability for the fluid to connect and to move to the wellbore. Hmm. 
And we've been very, very successful for the, in that in the last it's, 10 years. It seems like – so you're really kind of – you're just pressing – you're getting more out of each rock, out of each – A lot more. Each well bore. Yeah. There's, there's a, a lot of formations that have a lot of oil and gas in them. But again, because of the lack of permeability, we used to call those source rocks. They still are source rocks. And over geologic time, that oil can move out of the source rock and into a reservoir rock, and we drill a conventional well, and we've known how to do that for for 100 years now. Hmm. But we've uh, just recently been able to drill these horizontal wells, do these multiple-stage fracks, and induce that porosity to get the oil out of this very impermeable rock. And it's um, – I guess what it's done though is it's now made rock that we normally would never get the oil out of immediately. Now you can more immediately access the oil anywhere, I guess. Exactly. And yet we, we're doing it under pressure and with hydrology and water and we're, we're pushing more water into the system. And so what does that end up doing that uh, – because we do talk about well contamination. We talk about other issues. Is it is it – Unstable. What does it do that's different than regular drilling, really? Um, so the horizontal aspect is is different than regular dr- drilling. We used to just go through a formation vertically, and whatever the thickness of that formation is, that's what we had access to yeah. relative to the near wellbore area. Now we can come along uh, a horizontal formation, drill it horizontally, and follow it for for Miles. over a mile. Yeah, and. Uh, and then, so I guess that creates a gap. That creates that creates a, a horizontal hole. A horizontal hole. It's a little harder to c- control that hole than a vertical hole. Um, there are millions of gallons of water that are are used in some frack jobs in order to frack the job. Um, there are um, uh, what we call. Uh, a slick water, uh, a, f- a, frack w- a frack job is assisted by what we call slicker water. So we add chemicals to the water that we're doing the fracking with to make uh, the drag in the water less. Mm-hmm. And that helps us to frack it. So there are chemicals that we're inducing into the, the rock formation. Um, we also put a, what's called a propant. So once the fracture is made, we put a little uh, bead or a sand grain in the fracture to keep it open so it doesn't close oh, again on us. And uh, so there's numbers of, of things that we put in the ground uh, during the frack job. And then we try to retract most of that water, but we probably don't get it all. And, uh, and that's a little bit of a con relative to western states that are dry because just the amount of use of water that uh, we need in order to do the To get the job. oil out, yeah. yeah. And then is the water, the fracked, the fracked water uh, polluted then? Is that, a, is that a safe water? Is that a polluted water? It sounds like we're adding chemicals. We're adding things to it. We're Plus adding, it's full of oil. We're adding things to it. It's a relatively uh, – percentage-wise, it's a relatively fa- small percent of the total volume of fluids we're putting into the well bore. But because we're putting millions of gallons in, it's, it's a significant amount. Um, there are some uh, – there's some discussion within the industry as, as well as the regulatory agencies as to uh, declaring exactly what – different companies put in their frack hmm. jobs, what the chemicals are. But one thing uh, I want your audience to make sure they understand is that uh, under 
most conditions of oil and gas drilling, you're in a saline aquifer. You're in an aquifer that does not have normal drinking water, fresh water. That aquifer sits well above the zones that are usually uh, uh, drilled for oil and gas. And so the water is not drinkable anyhow or not really usable in, in most uh, most situations. So uh, hmm. so that is a con relative to uh, – you know, we don't get all those, those yeah. uh, chemicals back out. But, but again, it's not – it's already – undrinkable water. It's already has oil in it anyway or some form of – Right. For the vast, vast majority of the – But the thing drilled. about fracking um, is it's changed the entire industry, hasn't it? I mean they're now – I mean there was a boon. There was a lot of money being made. Oklahoma, you know, the Dakotas it seemed like were getting a lot of money um, and yet again I guess that's also bad for the business too because – they grew so fast they cut yeah. themselves off. Yes, we've we've been uh, overly successful in our own uh, engineering. Uh, we've I think the United States uh, production went from in 2012 uh, to a little below uh, somewhere below 6 million barrels a day. Uh, uh, I had some statistics written down here. Um, yeah, 5 to 6 million barrels a day in 2012 and just a few months ago, we were well over 9 million barrels a day. Wow. And uh, so we increased the amount of oil coming out of the United States, which decreased the uh, market share of OPEC and the, especially the Saudis. And they didn't like that. And the Saudis, because of the volumes of oil that they have easily produced, um, they said, you know what? We're, we're happy with $40 an oil yeah, $40 drop a barrel. Yeah, drop the price. And uh, what that signaled to the world was that uh, it, because it costs most producers in the United States fifty to sixty, somewhere around there, maybe seventy dollars uh, per barrel to get out of the ground with the fracking and horizontal drilling, it's a much more expensive operation. Um, it signaled to the world, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna." put you out of business for a while. Back it, yeah. We're going to back it all down and that's exactly what they did. And I guess they can then just sit on it until everybody closes shop and then run the price back up. Exactly. Hmm. I think that's the strategy. Um, you know, it's a, it's an interesting thing because we see these lower prices and everyone's excited about it except then we hear the fracking stories and uh, let, let's do this. Let's take a break and come back. I'd love to hear – what you think with what's going on like in Oklahoma and the earthquakes, do you think they're attributed to that? I mean in the end, we want Mother Earth taken care of too and if our technology is so advanced, I guess we could just keep advancing it to making it healthier, safer, better. We'll find out more from the pro. Dr. Thomas Morris will uh, will come back and continue to pick his brain about fracking and uh, it's the safety of it. It's environmental you know, care for the earth, doing what we can, folks, to uh, learn um, as much as we can about what we're doing to uh, be able to keep those great cars running. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, today we're talking about fracking. Now, you've heard about it, the topic. Honestly, you know, we are in a really interesting, I think, day and age. We've forever had a lot of uh, oil shell in the United States that I guess was harder to get the oil out of. And so fracking is now available that can help us, you know, take advantage of some of that. Um, We brought in a true blue expert. Dr. Thomas Morris is joining us, professor of geology at Brigham Young University, and uh, is here today to teach us all things fracking, to to walk us through the process. He's been explaining uh, to us about the horizontal drilling and the use of water and, and increased pressure and even kind of modified water to make sure that we can get more of the oil and gas out of the shell. Um, again, Dr. Morris, thanks for being with us. You're welcome, And make, making a difficult subject a little easier to understand. <laughs> Hopefully. Talk about uh, the earthquakes because one of the things we, we keep hearing about is there seems to be some correlation between earth movement and fracking. And ta- talk to us about how that works and, and what's, you know, what's the future. If, if, if we're going to cause earthquakes getting our oil out – Maybe it's not worth it. Yeah. Uh, this is especially prominent in the Oklahoma area, uh, as you suggested. And uh, what they've noticed is up to a tenfold increase in micro seismicity, uh, earthquakes that, uh, you know, you can barely perceive. The person on, on the ground can barely perceive, but, uh, you know, seismometers can uh, certainly uh, pick up and, and register on. And uh, we think there's a pretty direct correlation uh, to uh, injection of uh, of water from produced oil and gas wells. So it's not just fracking, but it's actually wells that have produced. So as a well produces oil over time, the water re- the the water the saline aquifer that the oil is in actually replaces the zone that the oil is withdrawing mm. from. Mm. And so over time, you produce more and more water and less and less oil until finally it becomes unproduct- uneconomical to keep producing the well and you shut the well in or, or close it down. And what you do with that produced water is sometimes a difficult thing. It's, again, saline. It's salt water. You can't use it on crops. You can't use it on the surface. You don't want to throw it into a river and, and yeah. kill, the, uh, kill the ecosystem there. So uh, what we do is we re-inject that water into the subsurface into another saline aquifer. And in Oklahoma, um, the crystalline basement rocks, uh, we call them, uh, geologists call them Precambrian Age rocks that are made of granites and, uh, and metamorphic rocks, very uh, hard crystalline rocks, and they don't hold the oil. They're deep beneath the uh, Earth's surface. Um, they inject a lot of that water near the basement rocks. And where those basement rocks are faulted, uh, that water that's under pressure can actually kind of grease the skids of mm. the faults that are in the basement. And those basement rocks tend to be the ones that, that cause earthquakes slide. and cause the seismicity. Huh. Yeah. But it's interesting because you know that. So, so you have these environmentalists thinking that there's just a bunch of gas companies just destroying the world and the earth except – you, you've actually been able to create solutions to get resources out of existing shell that we never could access, I guess, to the depth and the ability we can now. And you even know – you know what's happening with the fracking and you even know where it's happening. 
So is this – is it just that fracking is young and rambunctious and, it's, yeah. and it just it, – it's, it's needs to grow and we need to learn more about it? I think that's a good analogy. Uh, we're we're the, the process has – the process of fracking has actually been going on for some time in vertical wells, you know, near the wellbore mm-hmm. uh, in vertical wells. But with horizontal well drilling and this multiple stage fracking, you know, we, we've really in the last 10 years really gotten a handle on its capability and how far we're fracking with each job. And we're finding out some of the repercussions of, uh, of fracking. And uh, so we're still learning. Uh, we're trying to address those, those issues that uh, are environmentally sensitive. And, uh, you know, we're going to undoubtedly get better as, as regulatory agencies get involved and people are concerned. Uh, yeah. And there are, some, there are some concerns with it. And uh, so uh, I think we will get better at is, it. Is also the – is one of the water issues where you have this saline – uh, water that is that what is also polluting regular water, um, I guess sources. So um, so it's coming out. So they can't use the saline water, but it's is it is it infiltrating like healthy water, potable water? I guess aquifers. That's a great question, and that's that was initially one of the big concerns about fracking that you would fracture the rock to the point the fractures went up into the uh, freshwater aquifers, right. which are. Only uh, only the first uh, maybe up to maybe a couple thousand feet below the surface is fresh water. And uh, the answer to that is the Texas Bureau of Economic Geology, which regulates all the drilling in Texas. And Texas got more wells drilled than uh, Utah, you know, could, could ever do. And uh, um, they have found no indication that fracking itself has caused uh, pollution from either the oil that's coming out of the fracked well or the saline water mm. that's coming out of the fracked well into a freshwater, into an overlying freshwater aquifer. Um, what they have found, and this has been going on in vertical wells for decades, is that sometimes the cement jobs, so when a, when a well is done producing in a vertical well is done producing, they will pull the drill string and they are by law, uh, it's mandated that they fill the hole with cement, with mm. concrete, so that the fluids that are down in the producing zone can't make their yeah. way up the well bore okay. and into the freshwater right. aquifer. And so um, – what they have found over the years is that uh, smaller companies, uh, mom and pop kind of companies, and uh, you know some uh, poor engineering has not done a good job in cementing the well. Yeah, deep enough, huh? deep enough, and, and, and thorough enough that uh, there have been leaks vertically mm. up the well, and that situation is going to be true for a horizontal well as as well as a vertical well. So uh, – but but as far as the frack itself moving up through thousands yeah. of feet of that's overlying rock, we have no indication that that's happening. What do you sense? I mean the hard thing about this, Dr. Morris, is we have – you know, you always have kind of this, this polarized dichotomy, uh, environmentalists against, you know, corporations and – but you're a God-fearing man that loves the earth and a geologist and so – what I mean in the end we it seems like we need to progress. We need to figure out how to use resources and not destroy Mother Earth. So as a geologist, is that possible? 
I think it's possible. You don't get energy for nothing. Yeah. Uh, there's there, a cost. There, there's huh? a trade-off for any type of energy that you use. Uh, let me just uh, help help the audience think about this a little bit. You know, we never ran out of wood when we went to coal. When people started burning coal, uh, it wasn't because they ran out of wood. Coal was a better energy source. source. Uh and it's the same with us shifting now away from coal towards natural gas. It's a better source. And I think as we find more sustainable energies, as they become competitive in the economic marketplace, we're going to go to better and cleaner and more sustainable energies. I think that's a natural process. Right now, we're in a transition. Oil and gas is competitive and cheap relative to some of the other more sustainable energies. But we're catching up. Mm -hmm. And it's probably a good thing that we're catching up and, and looking into investigating ways that we can continually get better at using energy. And one of the greatest ways, of course, is is just to use less energy ourselves, individuals. Uh, uh, we can all make a little dent and together we can make a big dent yeah. in just uh, being wise about energy use. And I think we are. We're getting more educated about energy use and and uh, the people who provide energy are getting smarter in the ways they deliver that energy as well. Yeah. Should we trust these companies? Should we trust the big Exxons, the mobile, the mobiles, the the big Chevron, the big companies? I mean, we've we've seen enough experiences, I guess, where we wonder. Um, but then these companies are made up of great individuals like yourself that understand science and love God and love Earth, and yet. Uh, we we wonder. That's a great question. And uh, uh, my gut feeling is that there is a need for some regulation. There's got to be somebody watching the chicken's uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> coop, so to speak. And uh, it's not that – it's not that it's not in the company's interest as well to be environmentally sensitive, to be sensitive to the issues of the communities in which they work. Uh, I know one corporation that has worked in the uh, Uinta Basin. I guess I won't name the corporation, but uh, they have a very uh, good reputation with uh, environmentalists and with uh, with the uh, Native American uh, uh, reservation areas that that they drill on, uh, because they come in with a with a business plan that mm. includes environmental issues and taking care of those issues. And they're, they've shown their concern over it over the years and there's a lot more trust with that company than the company that comes in and just tries yeah. to grab as much oil as yeah. they can. Well, and even what you've brought up, just – I mean the mere fact that we can now horizontally drill and fill as we go to keep the well open. I mean fill it with pellets or whatever you were calling those to keep it open. The technology is so advancing that it just seems like in time – we might be able to mitigate a lot of other, a lot of these problems, and the mere fact that the geologists know that it's not like you're blind to this. You know what's going on, and you're learning, right. and it takes time. Right, exactly. Uh, you know, we've we've just kind of worked through this micro seismicity problem in Oklahoma, and now there's a kind of a mutual agreement between industry and. Uh, the regulatory agencies that will look for certain fault zones and we're going to stay away from those fault zones so that we reduce hmm. that, that earthquake uh, potential. And that was uh, – industry is volunteering uh, seismic data that they've paid for 
to look at the basement to help us understand yeah. where those faults are and where to, where to keep that injection away from. Huh. What would you say just to the rest of us that don't have a clue what's going on? Where is the future of oil and gas going? Uh, there's a really a, a great uh, um, video that I uh, show my students uh, that are uh, in the petroleum – hoping to go into the petroleum industry um, – that really goes through uh, the process of where we get our energy and what sustainable energies are out there and what the future might hold. Um, it's called it's called switch switch. And the idea, and you can look it up on yeah. We'll put it. We'll we'll put, post it on our Twitter site. Yeah, and uh, this uh, this video is a documentary video. And uh, anyhow, they the the idea of the switch is when we will switch from being pro profoundly uh, an oil and uh, and coal-producing energy world into a more sustainable energy world. And there's uh, – the, the author of the documentary uh, uses nuclear and natural gas as a transitional energy and then uh, hydro and uh, solar hmm. and the other more sustainable energies – uh, as uh, as a sustainable and, the, and so when are we going to make the switch away from oil and coal into the transitionals yeah. and the sustainables and he predicts that'll be out there at about 2064 wow so it, it's going to be mostly an economical uh situation where uh you know horizontal drilling costs more those costs go up and as we get better at solar and at wind and at some of these other yeah. sustainable energies, then that price is going to start coming up and we'll probably make the switch. Well, and you have to move the entire world, right? I mean like we have, we're already seeing the U.S. might move there a little earlier, but you've got to get China there and India there and right, the rest right. of the world. My there. personal feeling is that if uh, somebody leads the way and can show China – that hey, this is know, the way to you, go. You could do this better, faster, and, and yeah. stop polluting your cities. Uh, then uh, that'll help them as well. Great stuff. Well, we appreciate you, Dr. Thomas Morris, again here from the uh, Department of Geology at Brigham Young University. Uh, great insight. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me, Matt. You bet. We'll take a break. Come back. Wrap up this first hour of the Matt Townsend Show. Interesting stuff, folks. It's your uh, Earth, right? May as well be taking great care of it. It's going to be here a while. We'll be right back. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Isn't that interesting? Now, did you learn everything you needed to know about fracking? You know, it's so easy to just think, yeah, that's just bad. It's just bad. No, it's science. It's advancement. It's progress. Well, yeah, but they're just destroying the earth. I'd love to get somebody that just is against fracking to to sit down with a guy like Dr. Morris and explain why. Well, there's earthquakes. Okay, do, why are the earthquakes happening? Because you're pumping water into the ground. Okay, explain it. So we have this tendency to have an opinion without a lot of information. And to have an opinion is great, I guess. But to have no information, you know, it's kind of a pretty empty opinion. So one of the things we might want to do is formulate your opinion 
with information and with education, and not just information and education that comes from the one side that you love, the pro-oil or the anti-oil people, the environmentalists, but just learn. Did you know that you can drill horizontally? And did you know you can drill horizontally for a mile and a half? Do you remember when those guys were caught in the Chilean mine? They were drilling, you know, diagonally. That is pretty cool. You can drill at any angle. That's great. Someday that'll pay off when you're stuck in a mine, right? Anyway, let's just get informed. That's one of the big reasons we want to do the show is just give you more information. You can always, you know, hate fracking. Or you can also just understand that that fracking wasn't just destroying Mother Earth. It was also employing a lot of people. And it was finally creating security for some some families that didn't have it. Well, yeah, but it was also making a bunch of oil companies rich. Sure, okay, sure. And can we do it better? Absolutely. But it's there's there's this this give and take as we just learned between the costs and and you know, the benefit. And sometimes it costs money to have oil. And the mere fact that in the United States we're sitting on so much oil shell, oil shell that for years we have never been able to access the oil in the shell. Yet we're sitting on so much of it, and yet we're so dependent on fuel historically from other places, even to the point that wars were maybe started. You know, I guess a little fracking and learning about it, it's helpful. It's probably – we were probably fairly blessed to all have landed on this country with so much oil and shell. Doesn't mean we need to exploit the earth and it doesn't mean we need to hate the companies that are providing it for us. Make sense? It just seems like a more moderate view. Right? It's just balanced. <sighs> Good stuff. We'll take a break. we got a great hour. Next hour we'll be talking about uh, Joan of Arc, my new hero. You know, after Ben, of course. Stick with us. This with my is, bulging eyes. With your bulging eyes and your creepy little fingers. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter. At Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. It's Friday. It's Friday. You can almost relax and just kick back for the weekend. Start your yard work. That's it. No kicking back. You have to go mow the lawn. No kicking back. It's April 8th. By the way... The turning point in the war between French and England, or France and England, when Joan of Arc led the troops into a standoff with the English army. Today? May 8th. Oh, May 8th. Many, many years ago. This is is April 8th. 
Oh, I'm talking about my birthday. Sorry. Oh, that's also my birthday was the biggest day of Joan Arc's life. Joan of Arc's life. Mm-hmm. Not also, to brag. It's also Victory in Europe Day, May eighth. Yeah, is it? Yeah, because Ben's birthday is May eighth too. Hmm. It's it's just it's, nerd out on May eighth. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of nerd out, we found out we learned a new truth about Ben. What's that? He's creepy? A- about creeps. Not that Ben's a creep. Oh. But there's a science behind what makes something creepy now. And mm-hmm. I just happen to have all of the characteristics of You just happen to have person. nine out of the top ten. But it's not that you're creepy. But it's so the, a study from Knox College we talked about last hour says that creepiness, they've been able to basically nail, nail down what People think are creepy. Clowns, taxidermists, funeral directors, those are creepy. Hmm. But so is lip licking, violating personal space, laughing at the wrong time, Hmm. bulging eyes, long fingers, greasy hair, and pale skin. Oh, I agree with everyone. I know. If you have all of that, if you're a clown, taxidermist, funeral director, Mm -hmm. oh man, there's an uphill battle in your life. I think that is actually the job description really posted for Ben. <laughs> wow. What was that? Ben, don't lick your lips, buddy. Man. You guy's creepy. Yeah, he is. Now, creepy is this. A uh, leprechaun. Do, do leprechauns freak you out? Mm, I, the Lucky Charms leprechaun. Really? He's fine. He's fine. Yeah. The leprechaun in the movie leprechaun? Yeah, he freaks me out. So... It's a horror movie. Yeah, I never watch yeah. movies like that. It's kind of scary. So, yeah. uh, a man wearing a green wig, armed with a machete, and looking like a leprechaun, robbed three Turkey Hill stores Tuesday morning, hmm. according to the Lancaster, Pennsylvania police. Police took the suspect, uh, I guess Jamie Rodriguez, 19, into custody with the help of a canine unit, which just that in and of itself, a canine chasing a leprechaun. With a machete? Is it is Jamie Rodriguez the the perpetrator? He's the perp. So it should be like Jamie O. Rodriguez. Jamie O. Rodriguez. <laughs> I don't know how you pronounce that. According to the court documents, Rodriguez was wearing a lime green wig, hmm. black sunglasses, and a white bandana, black coat, black pants, and orange and black shoes when he committed the robberies. So not the garb of a normal leprechaun. Yeah, the the police report said he looked like a leprechaun. I think it was more the wig. Is it just because he had a green wig? The rest of the mm-hmm. outfit is he has like orange and black shoes on. But he robbed three stores, I guess. Oh, he was productive. Never trust a leprechaun. That's right. With a machete, that's creepy. Which is the tool of choice for most leprechauns. Oh, really? Yes. I didn't know they had a tool of choice. Yeah. It's interesting. Things you learn. On the Matt Townsend Show. These are things that you wouldn't ever find anywhere else. Right? Mainly because I don't think people want to spend the time talking yeah, about it. Yeah, people don't usually look for this information. What do you mean? Of course they do. That's why we're here. Right? So did you see the car chase? No. We talked about, about it a little bit last hour. Okay, so there was a car chase. Well, I, I, was, I was at home yesterday. I was about... Four o'clock or so, I'm just kind of scrolling through my phone, looking at Twitter, and then it says, Car Chase Los Angeles live stream. Yes, please. <laughs> you hit play, and then I watch this car drive around the freeways, I-10, all that. So all over the freeways in Los Angeles, got off and uh, drove around. I got off on surface streets and started driving around. They throw out a, 
tire ripper. There was a TMZ tour bus that mm. tried to box it in. Oh, boy. The uh, two guys in the car did donuts on Hollywood Boulevard. This, wow. is, this is all in the afternoon. So it's busy. There's people out. They drive by USC. They're all over the place through the Los Angeles area. And they, they were burglary suspects just running from the cops. Then it just turned into a joyride. And then they drove to a certain point. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure if it was uh, back to where they knew people. Like friends are around or Back whatever, to their fraternity house, like their their home or whatever. But yeah. they stopped in this neighborhood, and all these people gathered around, started taking selfies with them because they saw them on the news. No way. Yeah, and then they got out, and it was kind of like a little party going on in the street until the cops showed up, and then both guys surrendered, and they took them away. A four hour. Is that what it says? No. How many hours was it? It was. I watched it for about thirty minutes. It went on for quite a while. Chase an hour, hour and a half. Began at two, and shortly after three. Uh, you know, they were only they were riding on three tires by this time. Yeah, the front tire was jammed, and so it was just sort of not spinning, and then it would spin for a minute, then it would stop. A one-hour chase. That is crazy. And About 25 miles. It started 25 miles southeast of downtown Los Angeles. It was interesting because the, the feed I was watching, there was a helicopter pilot, and he's narrating this. Have you ever seen them do this? Yeah, yeah. They're trying to do play-by-play. I thought they weren't doing it anymore. They No, they still are. Now, the language they're using... They constantly say, these guys are not good guys. These guys are bad. Look what they're doing. Bad this is horrible. Guys. Horrible. Oh, look what they just did. You know, they you know they go excited for a moment. But realize, these yeah. are bad guys. They're running from the cops. And at one point, they look down and they go, oh, those guys, they were in a convertible. And they tried to, cl- it was a convertible Mustang. And they tried to close the roof. And it either got jammed or the wind caught it. And so it was like half up. They couldn't get it closed and it was raining. <laughs> so they're in this car just getting, you know, poured on. And at one point the rain stops and they look down and it's like, is the driver on a cell phone? What's he doing? So he's in the rain running from the cops on three wheels. Oh, my heavens. On Actually, his phone. Well, and planning a party. And apparently he, he was planning a party. Hey, so I'm almost home. <laughs> I got some cops behind Come me. Come on out and take some pictures. It'll be great. And Holy so the, the, the guy narrating from the helicopter He's like, you know, that's really not safe. They should have some sort of wireless solution when they're running from the cops in the rain on three wheels <laughs> and not just use their cell phone while driving. It, and it, it seems funny that it took like a few more minutes for the cops to show up. Well, they knew where they were. Well, it seems but wouldn't in a high-speed chase. It wasn't high-speed. In a low-speed chase, yeah. it seems like somebody would have been there fairly quickly. Uh, I think what it comes down to is uh, it all. I mean, all this starts with the O.J. Simpson trial. Yeah, Not that, the was, trial, the, that was the, the greatest white, chase of all. The time. white Bronco. Mm-hmm, I remember that. And all the people tuning in, and so in the L.A. area, all the TV stations go to these these chases because because it, it might who, it might be a star. Well, it gets extra ratings. People want to jump in and watch, and yeah. so they're they're watching, and it's funny to hear. The reporters try not to sensationalize what they're sensationalizing mm-hmm. by just putting it on the air. Right. They don't want to – yeah, you don't want to like glamorize it, right? You but, don't want this to turn into something. And the but, police stay way back. For all they know, just, it could have been Charlie Sheen. Right. They just follow the guy around because they don't want to provoke some sort of reaction and maybe yeah. the person jumps out of the car, grabs somebody else's car because that's happened that before. Could, I know. I've watched no, that on some of these chases. Did you hear about uh, San Diego and the cocaine bust? They, I heard that they displayed it all on the dock. Super cool. 14 tons of cocaine right. caught in a, they, a submarine, basically. Do you know how much cocaine they probably missed yesterday as I'd, they were celebrating this? <laughs> all of the agents are on the side of this uh, ship, or I guess this dock. There's probably 40 agents there yeah. with 40, 14 tons. It's worth four 
hundred million dollars worth of cocaine. Yeah, someone someone got hurt yesterday. Someone's bank account. Somebody is, and plus they lost their submarine. But they probably have ten more. Yeah, I bet it's Russia. No, this yeah. is the cartels. They oh. have submarines. No, I'm saying that maybe it's Russia because they're always showing up on our shores. With submarines. with submarines, well, not it's maybe not, maybe they're traffickers. It's now. not a huge submarine. It's probably about a eight man. It's more of a North Korean submarine, <laughs> except one that actually works, not one that they had to scuttle last month. <laughs> Jeez, approximately twenty eight thousand pounds of cocaine. That's I mean, that is like when you think about how much time it would take to get that out to the world, right? And the money hmm. that's a major grab. But what do you do with that much cocaine? You light it on fire. You got to get it out of California. That's what you got to do. They take it out to the desert and they burn it. <laughs> An office party at a police station. No, not at all. <laughs> That's pathetic. They make a big show of lighting it on fire Good. and disposing of it all. So. Well, see, they're working on it. They're yeah. saving us. That just saved a lot of lives right there. That and the high-speed chase. And the, and the leprechaun. And Watch the le- out. Watch out. Great information on the show. For the leprechaun with a machete <laughs> with the green hair. He'll get you every time. But See, dressed like a stage crew member. Yeah, with orange shoes. Yeah. What were you going to say, Benny? I was going to say we have the information that people generally avoid, and so that's why I don't know if they stuff. avoid it. It just doesn't really come on their radar. Yeah, what you, yeah what do you mean? And, and for some reason, it's on mine a lot. I see these things mm-hmm. every day. I'm like, oh, look at that. Uh, that. that that's probably better. We tell the cool stories that no one else dares to tell. No. We'll go with that story. Who wants to hear more about the election? Eh. Blah! Anyway, let's go to the election news. Uh, Terry, anything going on around the rest of the world we need to pay attention to? Democratic presidential candidate Bernie Sanders defended his remarks that rival Hillary Clinton is unqualified for the White House on Thursday in a CBS News interview with Charlie Rose. Sanders said the recent spat was in response to her attacks on him. When Rose pressed Sanders on whether she actually was unqualified for the presidency, Sanders responded, well, does Secretary Clinton believe I am unqualified for the presidency? I don't know why he's saying that, but I will take Bernie Sanders over Donald Trump or Ted Cruz anytime. So it's got it. let's keep our eye on what's really at stake in this election. Um, we have Republicans whose values are so antithetical to what's right for New York or right for America. So there we have both sides. Very presidential. Yeah. And this morning, Bernie Sanders backtracking. No, no, no. She's obviously she's qualified. You hear it. Uh, Senator Clinton, or Clinton there, Secretary Clinton, yeah. she is backtracking also from those comments. She, all she said was, is he a Democrat? Yeah. It was conflated by the Washington Post headline that says that she's challenging his qualifications. See, that whole, that just took an entire news cycle. Yeah. And it had nothing to do with what the candidates actually said. No, but, but it might made, have been more interesting. It made a lot of interesting news. Former New York City Mayor Rudy Giuliani confirmed Thursday that he will vote for Donald Trump in the upcoming New York Republican primary. He said, I support Trump. I'm going to vote for Trump. Trump is a negotiator. The famed mayor explained he negotiates from a high bar to get people's attention. Threatening to withdraw from NATO will get better a better deal with NATO. Giuliani added that Ted Cruz's attacks on New York values irked him because it's New York City. We're family. I can I can make fun of New York, but you can't. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Mayor Giuliani. I mean, I, it almost is like these guys are all positioning. They're just looking for a position. It right? looks like it. Why would you? 
Yeah. Lindsey Graham went on CBS this morning and said, if I can vote for Trump, so can you. Or if I can vote for Ted Cruz, so can you. So he's he's saying he's on the anti-Trump yeah. bandwagon. And he goes, I realize it. I've said all this stuff bad about uh, about Ted Cruz. If I can vote for Ted Cruz, so can you. That's his endorsement of Ted Cruz. <laughs> uh, Ted Cruz said Thursday he will not apologize to Senator Majority Leader, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell for accusing him of lying last year. On the Senate floor, if you remember that. Wow, yeah. Uh, despite suggestions from Senate colleagues that would help them unite behind his campaign. If you remember a couple, it was a couple weeks ago, they said, if he apologizes, if Ted Cruz apologizes to Mitch McConnell, he will get much more support from the Senate. But at the moment, because of that offense, we're, we're all standing back. Oh, man, this is crazy. And in response to the question, Ted Cruz that says, he goes, that ain't going to happen. And if the Washington lobbyists want to see that happen, they can hold their breath a long, long time. My focus is on the American people and uniting Republicans behind shared values and a shared vision. I will not apologize. This is going to be an interesting convention. (laughs) Yeah. Because this is why Paul Ryan's going to be thrown into the equation. See what happens. Facebook is working to combat a decline in people sharing original uh, personal content on the website. That that fuel helps power the money machine at the heart of its social network, according to people familiar with the matter. Overall sharing has remained strong, according to Facebook. However, people have been less willing to post updates about their lives as their list of friends grow, and the people said, uh, as people report, instead, Facebook's 1.6 billion users are posting more news and information from other websites. They're not posting personal information. That's going to kill the network. Original sharing of personal stories rather than posts about public information like news articles dropped 21% year over year as of mid-2015. Maybe this has something to do with the fact that Facebook has been tinkering with um, what you do see from your own network. That could be. So maybe they ought to back off controlling what we do see from our network. I'm just saying. So post more personal items to help out the company so they can make more money. Right. That's what they're asking. Yeah. We need you to help us make more money. Um, there's a new uh, sandwich at McDonald's. Ooh. It's McDonald's in Japan. Oh. So there's Hard that. But they call it the Giga Mac, the Giga Big Mac. Ooh. Sounds fantastic. While the Big Mac in the U.S. has two beef patties and basically looks like two burgers stacked on top of each other, the Giga Big Mac has four with a bun in the middle separating each pair. Like the American version, it also consists of cheese, lettuce, onions, pickles on sauce and sesame seed bun all that the monstrous menu offering will be available for a limited time in japan so basically it's two, two big, big macs on top of each other where did giga come from i don't know they made a word like a gigabyte like a gigabyte probably. hey um how do you say big mac in german big mac yeah Jeez. didn't even try on that one. really unimpressive there no like that's that's how they say it how would you really say it big mac say it again big mac not even trying, are you? <laughs> What's the word for big? Cross. What's the word for Mac? Mac. Say it again. Big Mac. In say big in German. Cross. Mac. Mac. They, they don't say that though. Ben, you don't know German. <laughs> I know you lived there two years. Believe me. That's not how they say it. Big okay. Mac. I believe you. Hey, uh, we're going to take a break. Trying to, I'm trying to get Ben up to speed. I want to help him. 
We'll help you. It's all talk, Matt. You got to listen to this uh, next interview. We're going to have Russ Holt on the show. Uh, BYU Broadcasting and BYU TV has put together an original um, an, an original show, Joan of Arc, where they're going to go talk and go through her entire story, her life history, and uh, and show really what I think is an incredible example of power and women. And uh, we'll be talking to the director of this original special, Joan of Arc, in just a minute. Stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to The Matt Townsend Show. You know, the story of Joan of Arc has captured the imaginations of history. Shakespeare featured her in Henry uh, VI, Part One. Movies have brought her story to the silver screen since 1928. Most recently, BYU TV created a documentary with this French icon as its subject. The director of BYU TV's original special, Joan of Arc, Russ Holt, joins us now live to talk about his experience with the project and why this story is told time and time again. Mr. Holt, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you, Matt. Great to be with you. Great to have you on uh, on the show. Now, you were the writer, the director, the co-producer. You're the one that made it all happen. Well, somebody had to do it, <laughs> and uh, I felt really quite humbly honored and privileged to be involved in the project. It's a, it, it is such a spiritual, um, I think, experience to watch it. I, I watched it, and I was so moved um, by her story, and also just at, to see what a powerful, incredibly powerfully uh, virtuous, strong model of femininity she is. To be involved in a story like that, I think, honestly, is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and I pinch myself, you know, to think uh, that I was ever involved in it, yeah. How did you, how did this come to be? Talk to us about how it went, you know, just from a concept to reality. Well, um, last year, early last year, I was uh, just minding my own business working on a project in Ohio and um, was on a plane flight coming back through Detroit. And while at the Detroit airport, I got a a message on my phone from Scott Swafford. Mm -hmm. Here at BYU Broadcasting. Right. And uh, he said, would you consider producing a 90-minute docudrama on Joan of Arc? And I was about to get on the plane. I knew next to nothing about Joan of Arc. And I said, let me get back to you on that. <clears throat> so as soon as I got home, I uh, immersed myself in everything I could find about Joan of Arc and very quickly found that this was a a truly special story that I personally resonated to on many different levels. And I got back to Scott and I said, I'm in, mm. totally in, let's do this. How wonderful. And then I guess you had to build the team and uh, and and you also chose some incredible um, experts uh, that uh, that you could use their interviews, historians, scholars that were part of it. You even had Elder Jeffrey R. Holland from the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles here uh, 
from the LDS Church and Bishop Cowsey. I mean, it was a you really you it seems like had access to some of the best minds on the subject. We were very fortunate, very blessed, I think, to uh, get the things together and get things organized and get it moving as quickly as we did because the time frame was very short. Um, they wanted this for broadcast uh, last Thanksgiving. And we were starting from ground zero, even below ground zero. You know, no research had been done, nothing had been written script-wise. And we knew it was a monumental undertaking. And we just moved forward as quickly and as well as we could. And, uh, yeah, I think we were greatly blessed in the people that we were able to assemble to make this happen. What um, when you think about uh, the project and maybe just about Joan of Arc? What what stood out as some of the things that moved you about her faith and about her just her her power? Well, her story is unique, and uh, to me, the unique and powerful aspects of her story was that this was a a farm girl, a peasant teenage French girl growing up on her father's farm um, in the uh, early 1400s. And she was out in the middle of nowhere. We, we traveled to her little hometown, her birthplace of Domremy in northeast France as part of our research for this. And Domremy is still out in the middle of nowhere, mm. hard to get to. Uh, you have to travel over windy roads for many, many hours to finally get to this town. And to think that this young girl, who had no prominence, no connections in society, uh, impoverished, uneducated, um, was chosen by God to save her country, to me, that's compelling. Mm. That's unique. Uh, and it's what you know, it was the engine that drove this story, was Joan's uniqueness. How, how did you choose and cast your Joan? I mean, that seems like that would be a really big decision. It was, and we knew that the the success of the project really hung on that single decision of who should play Joan. And we held many, many auditions. Um, <clears throat> both in the States and in Paris and in London, to um, look at any possible candidate for this. And whoever we cast, we knew had to have a unique set of characteristics. She had to have this kind of quiet confidence and uh, power that was part of her personality, but also a unique humility and a submissiveness to God. And she also had to be able to ride a horse. Yeah. And use a sword. Yeah, with, yeah, in armor. Exactly. Right. And so we looked at, of course, dozens of uh, young actresses who we considered for the role. But when Millie Thomas came into one of our last auditions in London um, and read for the part, and we found out that she could ride a horse and that she'd had uh, battle sword fighting experience. Um, 
we knew this was our Joan. There you go. And uh, it was, you know, just serendipity, a blessing, whatever you want to call it. But, um, yeah, Millie Thomas was uh, a great find and a great blessing to the project. Well, and when you when you watch it, yeah, you it it is it was really it's it's a for people that don't know the story, it's it really is a it's a it's kind of a more um it's a miracle. It's and there's no way to explain it except she changed France and saved France quite literally um but did it all under um, under a conviction that it was called of God. She was called of God as a farm girl to cross the country and go get the prince and basically have him take his seat uh, as king. Well, that was the thing about this story. And as we, we got into the research, it was clear that many of the scholars who had studied her life and written and published about her didn't quite know what to do with her spiritual experiences. Um, they didn't know how to explain them. They couldn't relate to them. Now, I related to those experiences right off, mm-hmm. and that's one of the things that attracted me to the project. And I think, really, this is the first time this story has been told by a group of people who really understood Joan's spiritual experiences and could relate to them. And uh, the scholars that we um, finally uh, assembled to speak to this subject, uh, many of them were people of faith, uh, Christians who could relate to Joan's experiences. Not only were they very qualified and gifted scholars in their own right, but they believed that Joan was called by God. Yeah. And so... This unique group of people that believed in that, you know, went off and told this story in a way that I don't think it's ever quite been told before. Mm. No, I think I think it's I think it's impressive, and I'm excited to show my kids uh, to let them experience what true leadership looks like, especially as we sit in this day of uh, political debates and and you know political posturing, but to see her quiet strength and her. Her true, you know, desire to to save her country, but more importantly, to just follow her her voice, those voices um, that she'd say, uh, powerful stuff. Let's uh, let's take a break. We're speaking with Russ Holt, who is the director of BYU's original special, Joan of Arc, and um, he's talking to us about the project. We will post um, the, uh, a link to the video on uh, the, at Dr. Matt Show. And you can uh, you can get a link and go right to it, or just go to byutv.org, and uh, just a great resource, folks. I mean, this is one you're going to want to show the family, especially a f- strong female role. Uh, is this is this is the great example that I think our daughters need and um, the world needs. We'll take a break, come back, continue the discussion of Joan of Arc. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, on the phone with us is Russ Holt, uh, the uh, the producer, the director, the writer, 
of uh, BYU TV's original special, Joan of Arc. And um, if you haven't had a chance to see it, you gotta you gotta go learn about Joan of Arc. She she is she's more than iconic. She is she's an essential. No, you must know of Joan of Arc. Um, if you even if you're not necessarily a religious person, uh, to know that there were people placed in the world um, like a Joan of Arc uh, to out of nowhere and literally out of poverty be called to serve a mission to save her country. It is the most incredible story, and it was put together beautifully by Russ Holt. Russ, thanks again for being with us. You bet. My pleasure. What uh, what stood out to you? There had to have been – I mean, it's first of all, you had to go to France. You had to travel all over France. Um, what stood out as, as, as the kind of the special experiences of, of being involved in Joan of Arc's story? Well, originally, uh, it's kind of strange to relate, but we felt because of uh, the tight schedule and the budget – we may have to film a lot of this in the States on sound stages, on sets, and maybe only do a limited amount of filming in France, exteriors, things that we had to do there. But once we went to France for the first time in uh, March of last year, we knew we had to film the entire production in France. Hmm. The places we visited were so compelling in terms of the feeling that was there and the visual things that still remained after all these centuries, we knew we had to film there. And so 99.9% of the production was filmed in France and much of it very close to the original locations where these events took place. Wow. So you were on that ground and um, and I guess it was, what was it like working with the French? What was it like? I mean, it seems like that would be... I mean, they revere Joan of Arc, but you're a bunch of Americans doing it. Exactly. And they are very familiar, of course, with this story. They love uh, Joan of Arc. They revere her. And the fact that we took interest in this story and wanted to bring it to a wider audience beyond their part of the world, <clears throat> they, um, they were grateful. Huh. that we uh, took this interest and we're going through this effort to do it accurately and to film it in France, um, to tell the story the way it actually happened. Because a lot of people have taken some license with her story yeah. over the years, especially filmmakers have fictionalized parts of her life. And we told them that from the start, our mission, our dedication was to tell her story based on the original source documents hmm. from her trials and not fictionalize. And I think they appreciated the fact that we were trying to be so historically accurate in portraying their story. Yeah. It was it was interesting to note that... Um how very few how, how many of the scholars couldn't relate to the spiritual side like you were talking about that cuz e even those that you had on there they would you know they would talk about the other scholars and and they they couldn't they didn't know what to attribute this to was she crazy was she was she you know hearing things and yet um that the kind of the mix of your experts 
and then the the you know I guess just the the visuals of being able to see some of the scenes of war and the battle and just her tenacity it brought the whole thing together to this and then this incredible piece and then the tragedy of how she was killed yeah exactly and if you get into her life and you start studying it the way we had to you find very quickly that everyone who's ever written anything about Joan, they all go back to the original source documents of the transcripts of her trials mm. that were held both before and after her death. That's the, uh, that's the bedrock that any scholar has to go back to to start understanding her life. And that was the source, those were the sources that we used, her trial transcripts that were originally written in Latin and then translated into French and uh, translated into English for our purposes. The dialogue, the scenes, the uh, different things that we showed, all are traced back to elements in those court documents. Hmm. That's what's interesting is there are so many documents, but there's so much conjecture about everything else, I mean, about about what they mean. Yeah, we left the conjecture out, yeah. and honestly, I can truthfully say that the most important parts of the dialogue where Joan actually spoke, we tried to mm. always tie that back to something that she said in her personal testimony in her during her trials. Yeah. yeah. Um, again, we're speaking with Russ Holt who is uh, the director of BYU TV's original special, Joan of Arc. All you have to do is go to BYUtv.org and hit the button shows, and you can see the the button for Joan of Arc. Go watch it. Uh, it really is. It's incredible. What was your favorite part, Russ? Um, as it came together, did any part of the of the production stand out for you as, you know, essential? Well, I think for all of us, it was a kind of a unique day when we gathered in this setting that portrayed the old marketplace in Rouen to recreate the day of her martyrdom. Hmm. You know, a 19-year-old girl who um, had stayed true to her faith in God right up to the moment of her death uh, was, I think, a moving experience for all of us. And to have that recreated, the pyre upon which she was tied, the uh, you know the bundles of wood, the timber that had been assembled there to be lit, um, and to realize that just as the flames started to ascend around her, you know, one eyewitness said she simply called out the name of Jesus mm. uh, six times before she perished. That. That's what was on her mind. That's the only thing she cared about, even as her life was being taken from her. And we had to light an actual fire, you know, for the purposes of the filming, and it got very hot. And many of the extras who were standing around uh, portraying the townspeople, you know, they had to (laughs) step back and shield themselves. And we thought, you know, this is how it was. Wow. It was a horrible way to die. And this young woman... Uh, did it so courageously and with such faith. Because her her sentence had been, I mean, she had been, uh, I guess, uh, told to, 
what I don't know what the word would be, but she ended up being convicted after for violating a rule for wearing men's clothing again. Well, for heresy. Heresy. Yeah. She was convicted of heresy. That was it. And and yet again, her, she was so protective of her virtue, of her. Um, I mean, and you handled that brilliantly about how these warriors, these these men. Um, you know, they they saw her more as an object and and wanted to be with her, and yet she was so strong and able to to serve her God, not her man. That was one of the the great uh, powers in the story for me was her commitment to living the law of chastity, which was not the common thing to be done in her time, mm-hmm. and uh, her devotion to that principle. I think young women today, worldwide, need a role model like that. Yeah. Who can say, you know, I'm not going to go along with society on this. I'm going to do what God has commanded me to do. And you can see the outcome. Powerful. What, uh, as we just wrap this up with you, Russ, what, what do you want all of us to, to walk away with? What, as, as, the, as a writer, as a director, as a co-producer, what are your hopes that we, we take away from Joan of Arc's story? Well, to me, one of the messages that comes through loud and clear is that even a very ordinary, unlikely person, if they will have faith in God, can do incredible things in their life. Um, you don't have to be, you know, at the top of society, well-educated and wealthy to make a difference in this world. You can, in your own humble way, in your own corner of the world, make a tremendous difference if you will link yourself with God and His power and follow Him throughout your life. Mm. Beautiful message and uh, and a beautiful work. Russ Holt, thank you again for being with us and uh, for your energy and efforts on Joan of Arc. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate your time. Again, everybody, go to BYUtv.org and just hit the Shows button. You'll see Joan of Arc right there. Uh, Click on it, and it'll be 90 minutes of the best spent time you can have. Take your family. Make sure you gather them around as well, full of incredible uh, experience and and really lessons that uh, we all should remember and and make sure we hold dear, dear. We'll take a break, my friends. Come back, wrap up the second hour of The Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. You know, we have so many uh, examples, role models that we use to talk about, you know, this principle-centered type of life. We hear, you know, we talk about Gandhi. We talk about uh, Jesus Christ. You'll talk about Mother Teresa. Joan of Arc has got to be on the list. I remember um, going and speaking at a, at a, for a group of young women at a camp, crazy camp of uh, 12 to 18 year old women and I had a there was a lady that got up and told the story of Joan of Arc to these young women and I've never seen a more captivated audience 
of youth in my life than when this woman who had studied Joan um, and her life thoroughly, she's explaining the power of virtue and the power of being connected to a God. There's some there's amazing research that's coming out. In fact, we'll have a wonderful interview, I believe, next week um, with Dr. Lisa Miller, um, who is from Columbia University, a, a professor there who talks about spirituality and the power of spirituality to help you with your mental health. She studied um, extensively spirituality and its impact on therapy, its impact on managing depression. But and there's there's no doubt, she says, in the literature, it is as significant, your spiritual life is as significant as a factor as any other factor about your uh, that has to do with your well-being or your uh, health. It's just as important. your spiritual your spirituality, your connectedness to a higher power is as important as the, your family, your upbringing, your education, your opportunities in life, your financial status. In every way, shape, or form, spirituality is higher. And I asked her specifically, what does spirituality mean? And she said, a connection to a higher source or a higher power. This is a Columbia professor, PhD, world-renowned, New York Times bestseller. And spirituality. And so then you go watch Joan of Arc and you realize this is a farm girl who hears voices, basically thinks she saw Michael, the archangel, um, sent from God to tell her to go get the prince and get him um, made king because they were delaying that. And – she did what she was told. How many times have you wondered what your purpose is on this earth? And we're not all going to have an angel appear like Joan of Arc, but we've got to discern what our role is. And she took on that role and what she was asked to do in every level of what she was asked to do was virtually impossible to do. And she did it. And she didn't even – Bad and I, she just did it. So we probably need to learn. And it doesn't mean, you know, you always have to go to church. But one of the stories they tell in the Joan of Arc movie is the fact that she would get mad at her local priest because he wouldn't ring the church bells on time for prayer. And so she kept pushing on him to pick up his game. It's amazing. There's power, isn't there, when you're focused and you know what you are about. Um, There's also power when you do feel a connection to a higher power. I don't want to get all preachy on you, but next week we're going to be talking to the world expert on the subject, and it blows my mind, the research she's done and the power it has on your own mental health. Uh, One of the studies she found that was so, I think, powerful is basically – the same place that you would tell your most tragic stories. So when I, if I asked you to tell me a sad, horrible, tragic story where you've been taken advantage of and hurt, when you tell me that story and then I ask you to tell me a story about your God being connected to you, those two stories 
would basically uh, evolve and come from the exact same part of your brain. So she found that our most spiritual moments and our most devastating, painful moments tend to reside in the same location. And so she's firmly convinced – this is Lisa Miller, Dr. Lisa Miller. She's firmly convinced that what that probably means is that your spirituality comes from your trials. Joan of Arc was a perfect example of that. So we have these people and, you know, whatever your belief system, whatever your, you know, religious creed, we can learn. We can learn from a Buddha. We can learn from a a Christ. We can learn from Muhammad. We can learn. And we can take these things into account. And to me, uh, that's where looking for the good life is going to come from. One of the goals of the show is to help you see the good in the world. Well, a lot of the good, you may be harder to find today, but it's there. That's why we tell hero stories on the show. That's why we try to make you laugh every once in a while. But a lot of the good also is just in our in our own history. And Joan of Arc is one of those. So I highly recommend it. And, and go see what can happen when you take a mortal and connect him to some higher power, some higher being, and um, – You'll see the miracles that can that can take place, and the miracle might just simply be to show that to your kids and let your kids start to see how and where strength really can come from. It's an amazing story. Joan of Arc. Again, go to byutv.org. You'll find it right there. Just look up under shows. And we'll take a break, folks. That's hour number two of the Matt Townsend Show. Next hour, we're talking movies. We're also going to be talking with our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show. And uh, we'll be meeting the producers. We'll be talking to the producers. We'll see. We'll see how that goes. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program, the show where we give you the tools, the information that you need to live a healthier, happier life. We've talked about car chases in L.A. Yes. Leprechaun-looking individuals Machete with car- machetes. Yes. And yes. orange shoes for some reason. Uh-huh. We Creeps. talked about uh, a study about what makes you creepy. Yeah. Or what people think is creepy. Which we found out what? Is our producer Ben. Bulging eyes, long fingers, pale skin. Uh-huh. Laughs at the wrong time. Kind of a tax. Okay, I'm, I'm going to have to correct you there. Oh. Not a producer. Oh, no, technically, technically you're listed on the, the roster as a producer. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, okay. so. But we give you other duties. No, but, you're, but, but he's right. I know. I mean, he he's, doesn't he's produce. Ju- he's just a board op, but I understand. <laughs> I didn't want to demote him. It's I know. Rude. I, mean, I, I feel like a, a board operator right. is a higher calling in, in the radio. Do you, yeah, okay. Okay, go with that. Sure. Wow. The word board, B-O-R-E-D, should tell you all you need to know. It's not how you spell it. Hmm? What? Okay. I don't know what you're talking about. Today we're going to be talking with Rod Gustafson. Hmm. Find out about uh, some of the latest and greatest movies coming out on DVD. Some of the movies that are being released aren't so child-friendly. So 
And and he's he's with parent previews. He goes, most of the movies this week are rated R. And when, when you're when you're parent previews, yeah, that doesn't really no. work. So, so we'll get other movies. We'll get movies that are being released to DVD, and he'll talk to us about those. Plus, his article about uh, what's it about about how to quit swearing. Yeah, he, he goes that's, as that, a movie reviewer. He goes in and sits in these movies, and everybody swears. He sees how it yeah. continues to get worse. There are things that are being included in the PG-13 movie that 10 years ago was not included in a PG-13 movie. Right. But they're there now. So he's going to have four ways that you can swear to quit or quit to swear. That's a weird title. Four ways you can swear to quit. Yeah. To quit swearing. To quit swearing. Yeah. Uh, You know. Yeah. It's probably something that can be reduced. No, totally. In most people's vocabulary, it tends to be something yeah. that it might be overused. Absolutely. Like, we don't swear. No. No, I, I only I, when it's directed at me after the show. Is he still I, talking? Yeah, yes. It's kind of a reflexive thing. When we're off the air, it's like with I'm Bernie gonna... Sanders. When when Hillary Clinton challenged whether he was a Democrat or not. And yeah. then one of Bernie Sanders' staffers told him, he, she, she actually questions whether you're qualified for president. And then he well, lashes back, and then yeah. he's like, wait a second. She said what? She didn't say anything about that? Oh. No, it's, it's more like I want, I'm hoping somebody will call in and help me, but nobody with, ever does. With what? You're swearing? <laughs> no, with like the abuse I suffer from the show. It's not abuse. We're toughening you up. We, we will show you abuse. How are you gonna How are you gonna cope with real life unless somebody really shows you what it's like? Yeah, it's, it's all demonstration. It's all have for you, your good. You're have right. you ever seen like a mama bear like just kind of rough up her little cub for a minute, toughen them up? No, usually she protects them. Mm-hmm. Well, you need to watch more nature movies. Apparently, <laughs> nature doesn't work that way. Yeah. She'll, she'll let them go. You know, get, get in trouble, and then she'll save them. That's what we let you do. We we give you the chance to blow it, and then we made sure you blew, you know that you blew it. The way I always thought was you you crush my self esteem so much that I'll never try anything that will make me fail, and so I'll I'll never really be hurt because I will never try it. Hmm. That's an interesting it's way, to look, way to look that, at it. Not a bad way to look at it. That's how I always assumed you were trying to help me. I'll go with that. Okay, that sounds like a good approach. Huh. Well. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> That's like I was just being rude. I, I didn't get all those unintended he read consequences. He yeah. but, but we're also going to have a moment that we call meet the producers. Actually, yeah. now we'll call it meet a producer. And a board op. And a board op. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to find out. This is always the scariest segment for me. It is. Once be- every three weeks? Yes. Once, And it's, it's only the once every three weeks because we rotate all the other producers through. But today it's Ben and Joe. And the only time I get a call from upstairs, it's every three weeks. When, when Ben's Ben on. and Joe, it's really Ben. Yeah, Joe's fine. Joe, and the funny thing is, Ben's on all the time. Yeah, but there's something about what Joe does to Ben that makes Ben like feel more empowered. And Joe's a nice guy. Joe's a great guy. It's just his influence. It's yeah, yeah. It's weird. So today, do you want to fill me in on what the producers will be talking about? Or are we going to leave that as a surprise? It's not really a surprise. It's not the producer, sorry. What the board op and a really good producer is going to it's talk about? It's about different ways to say goodbye. Okay. In different cultures. We're not going to talk German, are we? Uh, a little bit. Germany will be in there. Ugh. And and Hawaii. Yeah. Since somebody's has experience in both. In Hawaii? 
Yeah, he, yeah. he lived in Hawaii. Ben did. Hardly. He also lived in Germany. He also lived in Washington. Yeah. True. We're going to get a little no, goodbye we, from we Washington. We kind of get how to say goodbye and customs of saying goodbye. This in is a areas. sad day because Joe uh, is going to be leaving for Taiwan in the next few months. Yeah. So he, he's leaving the show here next week, I believe. That's a big deal. So this is his farewell appearance on the Matt Townsend Show. When's Ben leaving? Ben? <laughs> ben, when are you leaving to go to another country? Any plans? Please? You guys look really excited. Yesterday, Don brought in- Is there in, a chance? Did you see yesterday, yeah. Don brought in another another board operator. Got like a tweed coat yeah, on, some leather great. patches on the elbows. He wow, seems he dresses intelligent, up. smart. Did, did you notice I wore a nice shirt today? I totally did. Like, when have you ever had a collared shirt? This is incredible. You yeah. have a collar on that shirt. And nice shoes. I mean, and... usually your t-shirts, it's like questionable if it has sleeves. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you remember when HR came down and said, you got to have sleeves? You're like, it's a muscle shirt. And they're like, well, you need muscles for muscle shirts. That's really <laughs> That's like, rude. They, they weren't totally against true. like the muscle shirt. They just wanted muscle. some We're, substance under the muscle shirt. Yeah, so just don't wear the muscle shirt. Well, I, I've been working point. on my muscles, so I think. Keep working. Uh, muscle singular. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, Joe, we'll Joe's leaving, that. so we'll have a little farewell thing for him. We'll you. also get to our good buddies, BYU Sports Nation. But first, let's get to the news. What do we need to be paying attention to, Terry. Well, this is actually semi-breaking news. It happened wow. about an hour ago, and I think it's last report it was wrapping up. Lackland Air Force Base near San Antonio, Texas, had placed on lockdown following reports of a shooting on base this morning. The sheriff's office said there are victims but gave no more information. The AP reports two dead and an apparent murder-suicide on the Air Force mm. Base. Oh, boy. Details are still evolving as that is happening in uh Wow. More, more throughout this the day if you watch the news. news. So that's very rare for us to break news. Yeah, most, of, most of the stuff that uh, you know from yesterday. Uh, Donald Trump's campaign will inch towards becoming a more traditional political operation next week when it opens its first office in Washington D.C. Wow, great! Under the leadership of a con- of convention manager Paul Manafort. This all from the NP- NPR. The nomination process has reached a point that requires someone familiar with the complexities involved in the final stages. I am organizing these responsibilities under someone who has done this job successfully in many campaigns. This is from the, mm. from Donald Trump in a statement. So this he's trying great. to legitimize his operation. Yeah. Well, he better because, you know, Cruz is stealing delegates. <laughs> Uh, Ted Cruz in Tuesday's Wisconsin Republican primary uh, with his 13-point win and the loss. And now he's probably going to have a a rallying uh, sort of momentum building in in New York. Yeah. As Ted Cruz continues to go to uh, campaign events and get heckled and yelled at. and (laughs) He was was supposed to go to a a charter school in the area. And the kids protested, so they had to shut it down. He like never made it to the, the school. The kids had signs and like protested. Well, no, the idea the, the kid the kids didn't want oh. him there, and they said that if they would they would hold a very loud protest if Ted Cruz came to their school. Wow, poor Teddy. And so Ted he keeps trying. He went to a um, a matzo ball factory, yeah, uh-huh. and they had a a little photo op as he was making matzo balls. Everyone was joking about Jews for Cruz <laughs> and all of and you know yarmulkes with Cruz twenty sixteen on them or whatever. Yeah, so. Hmm. It's interting how Exciting. they need to pick their uh, their 
photo ops better, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they might want it. Presidential candidate Bernie Sanders has accepted an invitation from the Vatican to visit the historic city next week to talk issues of social, economic, and environmental with Pope Francis. They, Pope Francis made it clear that we will we must overcome the globalization of indifference in order to reduce economic inequality, stop financial corruption, and protect the natural environment, Sanders said today. Well, hold it. So Cruz can't get an audience with a bunch of grade school kids. Yes. But Sanders can get audience with the Pope. Apparently. Well, something seems as as askew. Askew there. This is weird. Maybe Ted Cruz, if he advances in the process, maybe, maybe he'll get an audience. Maybe. I don't know why Bernie Sanders, because he hasn't won the nomination, obviously. No, but Bernie's but, running second, and he's going to the Pope, and Ted's running second, and he can't. Is Bernie Sanders' message more Pope-friendly? Apparently. I don't know. Isn't that funny? And Bernie... Is and Bernie Bernie is a Jew. He is going to see the Pope. These are this the, is these a are big the... moment. This is some cool <laughs> stuff. Yeah, so this is great. M- maybe Bernie's the first uh, first of the candidates, and they'll have all of them. And the, it is tough and, to fly to Italy to talk to the Pope. Look at how look how dynamic this. Is. And the and the Christian is going to the matzo ball factory. <laughs> what is going on with this election? Yeah. Crazy. Cool. Fun stuff. Airline seats are getting smaller. Americans oh, yeah. I are, noticed that. And Americans are getting bigger. Have you noticed that also? Well, I just thought my sh- my seat was shrinking. The Senate, the U.S. Senate decided the issue is of none of its business. A proposal from Senator Charles Schumer, so Chuck, uh, to do something about ever-shrinking airline seats and legroom was rejected Thursday by a, f- a 54 to 42 vote with, al- with almost every Republican in the chamber voting against it. Wow. The amendment from Schumer, who complains that it cost you an arm and a leg just to have room for your arms and legs, was attached to a broader aviation bill. It would have banned airlines from reducing seat sizes and the distance between rows for 30 days while the FAA works on setting seat size and row spacing requirements for U.S. airlines. Hmm. It would have uh, required airlines to post seat sizes on their websites. So you'd know what was yeah. happening as you came in. Uh, the uh, let's see here. The Washington Post notes that the width of the average economy seat has shrunk from 17 inches or to 17 inches from 18 and a half inches in the 70s. Rows are now more than four inches closer together, and the proportion of Americans considered obese has soared to 35 percent over the same period. Well, it seems like the numbers are going in the wrong directions. Smaller seats, bigger people doesn't doesn't work. Yeah, and and then Schumer proposes this, and everyone's like, we're not going near it. No. Yeah, but it could possibly be that the bill itself that it was attached to had other things in it. Okay. That possibly is. I'm going to That's usually that. how that works. Yeah. And finally, the Swedish Tourist Association has set up a hotline that lets callers worldwide get connected to a, quote, random Swede. Pardon? A random Swede. What is a random Swede? Just some Swede out of nowhere. A citizen of Sweden (laughs) answers the phone. On its website, the nonprofit group says the idea is to spark people's curiosity about Sweden, our culture, nature, and mindset. To help us do this, we have the people of Sweden. It's not completely random. The Swedes who take the calls have volunteered by downloading an app. But they are not vetted or given any instructions about what to say. About 3,000 people have dialed the Swedish number Hmm. by midday Thursday, a day after it was launched, and roughly the same number of Swedes have signed up to answer calls. Wow. You know what? That let's next time we get a board operator, let's get a Swede. Let's get a Swede. I'm tired of talking about Germany. I have Swedish ancestry. That could get old. That could get really old. Yeah. So. I I can cover everything. Would you volunteer, Matt, for a dial an American? <clears throat> no. 
sort of service where people around the world could call and tell, yeah. you know, you could talk to them about no. what it's like to live here. No. But you know what you could do is you could just like have them call Comcast. <laughs> if, <laughs> call if, customer if, service. If customer service at Comcast is in America. Yeah, it could be. We right? It could know. be somewhere else. Yeah. But just Maybe do after that. hours. I mean, yeah. You could just post that, dial an American, and then just send them to some customer service department somewhere. I like that. It's called a random Swede. I mean, I like. I mean, I like that, that they're promoting their country. That's great. Right. I, we, I, we promote. I was, our, we promote. You know. I was listening to the BBC this morning. They called a random Swede and talked to him. Oh, how great! Yeah, he was like, "Yeah, this is fun. You just talk about uh, your country." But they're it's talking a great place. in English, huh? Well, yeah, not Swedish. Yeah, because I, if I have to call a random Swede, I don't even know Swedish. I have a friend. You you could bond over your obvious joint um, enjoyment of Swedish fish. Well, and IKEA. And IKEA. I love IKEA. Wonderful meatball. You don't even need to dial a Swede. Just go to an IKEA store. They're all Swedish. They're all Swedish. They're all imported in. I'm pretty sure they're all blondes. Whatever. Hey, uh, we'll take a break, folks. When we come back, we are going to go visit our good buddy, um, Rod Gustafson, and, and go find out about what's coming up on um, the weekend releases, what movies are coming out on video. Also, he's got a really good article about all of the swearing that goes on in in the movies. Giving us some tools, some information about how to... Uh, manage our media with our children and our family. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, we got our great friend Rod Gustafson on the line from ParentPreviews.com. He's a film critic specializing in reviewing movies and media from a parent's perspective. And uh, Rod, I I hear you're a little under the weather. Well, not too bad. It kind of gives me this deep radio voice that I wish I had. But yeah, (laughs) just got some congestion going on. Yeah, just a little, just a little congestion. Hey, now, um, one of the things that goes on in uh, Hollywood is sometimes they'll produce a lot of R-rated movies. And because you're focused more on movies for families, those aren't as, uh, you know, reviewable for you. They certainly aren't. And it's a triple R weekend. The Boss, Hardcore Henry, and Criminal. And especially, I, I should just mention in 10 seconds, Hardcore Henry, it's a video game premise movie. It is incredibly violent. Mm. I'm surprised it didn't get an NC-17 in the United States. It's getting that equil- equivalent of a rating here in Canada. And so if parents, no. No Hardcore Henry. There you go. There's Watch out. The week. No, that's yeah. good. That's really good because, yeah, the kids will be drawn to that naturally. Yes. So talk about uh, some DVD releases. Star Wars Episode uh, 7 is out, The Force Awakens, and Concussion. What should we be looking for there? Yeah, this is a great weekend to save a little money. And if you really want to watch a movie with the kids, do it at home. Star Wars, of course, a no-brainer. I think many people saw it when it was in theaters. And and it is now available on home video. And a lot of fun to watch again on home video. And by the way, if you get the the DVD or the Blu-ray, they have a lot of bonus features. For instance, you can see how they constructed BB-8, that little rolling Mm -hmm. eye. 
a droid and whatnot. And so there's some fun bonus features to watch as well, which I really like about the home video releases. And then Will Smith in Concussion. I was a little, I was a little surprised that Will didn't do better during award season for her, his performance in this movie. I, uh, I really enjoyed Concussion. I thought, I thought it was a really good film. Definitely one that's probably more suitable for older teens and parents to watch together. Uh, but this is the movie based on a true story that revealed this, this ongoing problem. I think the, the acronym is CTE, that uh, football players and now even people who are involved in other professional sports are recognizing that all these hits on the head that you get are cumulative and can cause some serious issues. And so this is the movie that shows how this was discovered. Yeah, we've talked a lot about that CTE. And um, I mean, these are two just these are iconic movies now. And I'm I'm actually going to have a great weekend watching them. So thanks for setting those up. One of the things I also wanted to talk to you about, Rod, was this article you put out about swearing. Um, I guess there's so much of it that you see in the movies, you you decided to write an article about it. Well, you, you know what's interesting, Matt? When I set out to do something, I've thought about this, and we've done a couple of other articles on profanity in the movies over the years, but Last week, I thought, you know, somebody must have done a study or has 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 recognized why our incredible use of profanity has many issues in our society, negative issues. You know what? I couldn't find a single uh, a single academic survey study that wasn't supportive of profanity. Most of them come to the conclusion of if it feels good, do it and it must be good for you. And so I thought, no, that just still doesn't sit right with me. So, yeah, I, I put together some thoughts that I know I have personally run into. Now, Matt, when I was about 20 years old, I found religion in my life. And I had to change my language. There wasn't a whole lot else I had to change, but yeah. my language, definitely. Yeah, it it had to change. And, and, and so that was a big thing for me. So I know that this can be difficult to remove profanity from your language. No, and you and that to me blew my mind that you you couldn't find an article about it because there are reasons that we we don't need to do it. I mean, right? And and you give us four. What 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 are some what are some of the points that you think we all need to know about, be thinking about when it comes to and what we could teach our kids about language? Well, first of all, I know some very intelligent people that I really respect, but when they begin talking to me about things that they are doing and things they know, they pepper their language with so many profanities. I find in my brain that I have a difficult time understanding the point of what it is they're trying to say because I'm trying to filter through all these words. So it really slows down our, it impedes our ability to communicate efficiently. The other thing is that we never know when we may be offending other people. And I know a lot of people would say, well, that's their problem, not mine. But, mm. but here's another point to look at is it may be actually costing you money. It may be costing you a job promotion. You never know what that other person is thinking about you as you communicate with them. And they may be thinking, well, there's no way I'm going to make you my sales manager if you are going to talk to my clients using that type of language. So that's another issue. The other thing, Matt, that I've run into, and I, I know some people that work in human resources, and they have told me that they have had to discipline and in one case even terminate somebody 
for the language that they use around the office, and especially um, when they are talking to people of the opposite gender at times as well, where comments you make, and if you're one of those people who's got a, a dirty joke to tell at the workplace, this could also get you into legal hot water. So this yeah. is another another big issue that is starting to show up. And then finally, you know, I think deep down we have to think, why is it that we swear? And sometimes I think pride has to do with it. I think we think we're the life of the party or it gives us more control over other people. So so there's four reasons that I immediately thought of why this probably isn't always a good thing to do. In fact, I don't think it's ever a good thing to do. Right. No, and you don't think about it, but you're talking to someone else. You might be infringing on their own their own standard, right? Absolutely. And a lot of profanity is so involved in this expletive. And uh, we, you may be offending someone on that basis. Yeah. Well, Rod, we appreciate you, my friend. And uh, you're great. You're a great resource, everybody. Go to parentpreviews.com, a wonderful place to, to get information about the movies and the media you're watching, deeper conversations you can have about the stories and the movies you've seen. But also some great uh, featured articles as well, like that one, Four Ways You Can Swear to Quit. Um, interesting, wonderful stuff that I think uh, is good for all of us. Uh, Rod, appreciate it. Have a great weekend, and we will uh, talk to you again next Friday. We'll take a break, folks. When we come back, we'll be visiting with two of our producers, actually a producer and a board operator. And uh, (laughs) we'll see where this goes, folks. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, uh, for many, this is the best segment of the day. For me, it's just torture. Uh, joined by uh, today a producer, Joe Carson, son of Johnny Carson. Accurate, Dif- yeah. Different Johnny. And uh, and Ben Wasden, um, a board operator, not a producer. Yes. Thank you for that clarification. And uh, today, in the Meet the Producers and a Board Operator segment, we are going to be talking about what, gentlemen? Well, we're going to be talking about goodbyes. Oh. So, in Taiwan, to say goodbye to someone, you would say, Zaijin, which now, means how goodbye. You, how do you know that? Because you're going to Taiwan, but you shouldn't know that yet. That's I, a surprise. I, I've been doing some research. Okay. How I, do you say it again? Zaijin. Zaijin. It's messing up the tone. It's like, zai chin, like you, you come down. Yeah, like, zai chin. Zai chin. That probably zai means chin. something really offensive. But anyway, since this is my last producer segment for yeah. at least a couple of years, and you're all going to be saying zai chin to me, <laughs> we, <laughs> we, we, now we discuss some ways to say goodbye all okay. around the world. Okay, great. This is great. This is great. Let's not do Germany, though. So as you know, Matt, oh, I spent two years in Germany and yeah. Austria, and mm-hmm. I'm also from Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Germany, it's it's a little bit different as as a missionary. So I, I thought I'd start off yeah, by talking okay. about like how you say goodbye on a telephone in Germany. Okay, that'd be great. Um, in Germany, it's it's almost like a competition to see how many ways you can say goodbye in before really? the other person hangs up. Really, and so. <clears throat> <clears throat> Don't be nervous. There, there are multiple ways to say goodbye. One of them is chus. Chus. I love chus in the morning. <laughs> okay. Alfito saying. Okay. 
Ciao. They say um, ciao? Yeah. Do they? Okay. Um, Chusi papa. You what? Chusi papa. Okay. And so when if if you're saying goodbye to me on the telephone. So goodbye, ben. Ciao, ciao, chusi papa, ciao. Alvita saying. Alvita saying. We should practice that, but in English. Yeah. Do you want to? Should we try that? So let's pretend we're on a phone call. Like, okay. Or you, you guys. You. Okay. So goodbye. See you, bud. Hey. Um, bye. I'm, I'm going to go, Matt. Goodbye. Talk to you later. See you. Bye. See goodbye. Ya. Hasta la Love vista. You. Bye. Ciao. Bye. Cito. Bye. Dude. Yeah. See, that's weird. Yeah. That's weird. And as, as The an, Germans need to stop that. <laughs> <laughs> as an American, I'd that. always try and hang up as fast as I could just to see – and then see how many they actually got before I hung wow. up. Wow. I didn't know it was like it was a competitive call. Yeah. It's, Germans are very competitive. Like what if you were like a telemarketer in Germany? It's exhausting. Oh, it's going for forever. <laughs> exhausting. So, so we say goodbye. That's German. We've heard what we say in Taiwan. Uh, what else? What? I mean, Argentina, they we say ciao. Hasta ask, ask you, what, when was the last time you said goodbye to someone? I read about a second ago, five seconds ago. I said goodbye to Ben. Right, right. So <laughs> I'm did, never going to leave. If you're now. saying goodbye to your family, what do you normally do? Uh, I said goodbye to my mom yesterday and we kissed and I said goodbye. See, that's pretty standard for America. You know, you you wave, you say goodbye, you mm-hmm. hug and kiss. If it's mm-hmm. family, if it's yeah. a friend, you might shake hands. Mm-hmm. But uh, but it's it's pretty different in other parts of the world. Like for example, you know the the full arm side to side wave, yeah, yeah. which I am doing right now, but you can't see you can't because see it's the radio. We're on the radio. Right? <clears throat> but in some countries, it, like like in East Asian countries, it's overly demonstrative. It's like you don't, that guy is trying way too hard to say goodbye. Yeah, <laughs> he's going way over the top here. But um. <laughs> He's like trying in some hard. European countries, as well as Japan and Latin America, it can be confused for a no. Like, I do not want you over oh, here. Oh, like waving you off. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Uh, and in India, it means come here. So Really? You know, so you're waving someone goodbye and they keep getting closer. Yeah, that could be kind of confusing. Like, no, yeah. I want you to leave. Like, why do you keep telling me to come towards you? See, this is good learning. It's, the best advice I can give you is just to be aware of, um, of the culture's in which you are in. That's a great. That's great Isn't advice. See, so, you now Ben, did you hear that? Yes. yes. Be aware. I'm always aware of Matt. the cultures you are in. Yes. It's like don't do something that's against the culture, or as we just decided earlier, that would make you creepy. Well, I I feel like my bodily features are already kind of creepy <laughs> <laughs> because he has bulging eyes, long skinny hands, and I lick my lips all the time, and he licks his lips like a lizard. But um, so another one we wanted to talk about is Hawaii. Yeah, um, and you you actually came to my farewell missionary. I did. That was ceremony. incredible. Um, Out of nowhere, I didn't even yeah, know you. I know. <laughs> just showed up. I slept right through it. It was. <laughs> he just he was addressing his. He came home from his mission, and there's no. There, I, I was oh, you were leaving on for your mission. mission. Yeah, that's how long ago that was. Yeah. And so, do you remember the Aloha Oi yes. song that happened? They sang there? Aloha Oi to you. That was amazing. Yeah, and so in in Hawaii, that's probably that's probably the most significant and, and amazing yeah. goodbye ceremony that that I've ever witnessed. And for those of you who don't know, you stand at so in our in our church, we'd we'd stand in front of like the congregation, yeah. and the whole congregation would stand up and sing the song Aloha Oi. Yeah. It was um, beautiful. It really was beautiful. Yeah. Because like at the very end, you're like, wow. And we, the, like that's a really good goodbye. 
And then at the end, everybody lines up and they have lays and they put it on and kiss you on the cheek. Oh, wow. And then say goodbye. Yeah, I remember when I kissed you. That was weird. Because <laughs> I didn't even know you. It was a little bit wet. It was. Yeah. But I cared about you. <laughs> and I had been crying for a few minutes. That was awkward. Some say that's how I got the job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep, we know that's not true. <laughs> we know that's not true. Hey, um, so we've got Hawaiian. We we've got I've I've done some Spanish here. Ciao, hasta la vista, que le vaya bien, vaya con Dios, go with God. I've got uh, I've got some other languages <sighs> oh, though. Oh boy, I've, pig Latin. I'm I'm gonna butcher. All of these, okay, perfect. probably, but uh, but that's what we do on the show. We butcher other cultures. We do not <laughs> butcher. Ben does. <clears throat> so in Chinese, as yeah. I already mentioned, in Mandarin, you'd say zaijin. In Dutch, you'd say tutsins. Uh, in English, you say goodbye. In Pig Latin, you'd say goodbye gay, I think. Goodbye gay. Uh, in French, you'd say adieu or au revoir. Mm. In German, you'd say auf Wiedersehen. Uh, in Hebrew, you'd say shalom, which means peace. Um, in Italian, you'd say arrivederci. In Korean, you'd say annyeong hai kaseyo. Annyeong. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. Annyeong hai. Okay. That was perfect pronunciation, by the way. <laughs> in Portuguese, you'd say adios, I think. Yeah. Uh, and in Russian, it's dos vidanya. In Spanish, it's adios. You mentioned a couple others in Spanish. Wow. So there, there's lots of... Lots of words for for goodbye. Lots of things you say when you're parting with someone, when you're when you're not going to see him for a while. Yeah. So to end the segment, Matt, because yeah. we're we're very punctual, mm-hmm. um, we'd like to say goodbye to to Joe and okay. and invite you to uh, say anything that you feel about him and okay. just let um, that happen. Okay. <laughs> goodbye, Joe. You know, I, I prepared a speech, if you don't mind. I, um, I just wanted to say it's, it's been a pleasure working here. And, uh, and as I prepare to, to leave for Taiwan mm-hmm. for two years, uh, I, I reflect on the experiences I've had here. You know, see, see you, Joe. The times we, we were fired, the laughs we shared together, they were all very formative, very important. And I think I'll remember, Bye. I'll remember these times for the rest of my life. You know, and, and looking back, I, I really wouldn't change a thing. We had we had some hiccups for sure. We so we made some mistakes. Good to be with we, uh, you, Joe. Good to have you. But all in show. all, be done. Would definitely not regret anything anything we did this year. Uh, so you, so it. Matt, th- this is a point you, where you like kiss him on the cheek. You don't regret anything you've done on the show. <laughs> well, okay, maybe a couple things. But <laughs> okay, but I wouldn't change them. Is what um, I'm saying. The the lessons that I learned are more important than any. Any sense of shame that I could feel, you know? So kiss him on the cheek. Thank you. That was, that was nice. <laughs> that was longer than I normally do. It's, it's a long goodbye. I'm, we're we're going to miss you, Joe. You've been fantastic. You've been incredible. And are, are you here one more week? I'm here one more week, yeah. So here's the deal. Next week, I'm going to have you do some news for us. Oh, Perfect. I'd so, love to do that. So people will still get to hear from you. We're also losing Liz Miller. So we probably need to do Aloha Oi for Liz. We'll bring her in next week. Yeah. And we'll have to have the same kind of thing. Um, 
next time though, when I like say goodbye, let's just end it there. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Because that seemed to go on a lot. I'll, I'll tell her not to repair a speech. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I don't mind if Liz does. I thought that was like the most valuable part of the whole segment. Yeah. It was really from the heart. That was a great segment, I was, I was guys. putting all of my emotions into that speech. That great. Th- and thanks for keeping it clean, too, Joe. Yeah, it's your thing. And yeah, demi- yeah, that was good. Good job, guys. Uh, well done. Ben Wasden, Joe Carson. Joe, we'll miss you. Have fun in Taiwan. Alvider Singh. Ciao, ciao. Tschüssi, papa. Okay. We'll take a break. Come back. Visit our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. everybody to the Matt Townsend show just a little music to uh, segue into a wonderful segment with our good buddies down at BYU Sports Nation find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour hello gentlemen hello Matthew how are you do you like our music today yeah what is it it's it's a man and a woman that never finish their sentences oh it's Gaelic it's Scottish Gaelic music okay it's called Organaich Uder Arin Migfachiel. Sounds amazing. Compelling and rich. No, I was just clearing my throat. Hey, guys, I've got some great news for you. What's up? Because many people have been trying to figure out what creeps people out. We've found a study where two sociologists, uh, social psychologists from Knox College, conducted a survey, a survey about creepiness, and this is what they found out. And you guys, I want you to take notes because notes. some of these things you may do, okay? So they surveyed 1,300 people around the world and found out these things creep them out. First of all, clowns, creepy. Yeah. Taxidermists, creepy. Funeral directors, creepy. Now, here's the rest. Anybody that uh, lip, uh, licks their lips too much, that violates your personal space, that laughs at the wrong time, mm. bulging eyes, long bulging fingers, eyes. greasy hair, and pale skin. Oh, I'm hosed on that last one. <laughs> <laughs> Creepy. So, so, so now you know. When somebody like, like shudders around you, it might be your long fingers. <laughs> Put them in your pocket. Put them under your arm. Hide your fingers. Or it might be your greasy hair or your pale skin. So, it, know. you know, I want you to know that just because we found a lot of uh, a lot of our staff meet the criteria. Uh-oh. Yeah. And they're not even clowns. Totally that we weird. Mm-hmm. That we know of. Have a side gig. So, um, hey, I've been just right now, so Spencer knows, I'm watching your baseball game coverage from yesterday. Oh, you're watching the BYU-San Diego game. Yes, I am. Great game. For the break. Uh, a little home run right in the first inning, I believe, second oh, inning. Second inning. Second from, inning. Uh, oh, no, it was, it was the top of the third. That's oh, was right. it? Yeah. I've been running around. From Roman Garcia, I believe, San Diego. I, I would love to hear the call, but I have to have the audio down because this is a radio show. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I am doing, um, I am doing closed caption, so I can read what you're saying. Do you know what happened last night? No. 
BYU went down one to nothing and won the game twelve to two. Are you kidding? That's they're twenty second man. They're they are doing great. Yes, to say the least. They're, yeah, they're fantastic. This is the best season they've had in a long time. They and haven't been ranked since ninety four. Did they beat San Diego fifth ranked? No. Why is San- that? Why are they fifth on the list? Oh, BYU right now? Are you no, looking at the graphic? Yeah, the graphic was San Diego I thought was fifth. They're not. Fifth. Okay, no, not. never mind. But it, but it was BYU's first win ever against San Diego as a member of the West Coast Conference. This mm. is the fifth season. BYU was 0-15 against those guys. That's they had huge. They lost 16 in a row overall. Wow. Since 80, and they won last night. BYU's pitcher is 7-0, Michael Rucker this year. That's fantastic. Tied for most wins in the NCAA. So the, they're BYU doing great. baseball is doing work, man. Well, they and, have clocked in. Yeah. This, this, and the, let me just tell you, anybody out there in listener land, this is a great production that you put together at BYU Sports over there. You guys, you know what you're doing. I'm telling you. Thank you. It's like you're legit. <laughs> not like. It's not like <laughs> yeah, you're they, legit. You are legit. They do a great job. And so you Michael do Minus too on volleyball. Producer. Caitlin King is the producer over that. Jason Shepard has added a lot to the broadcast. Yeah. Gary Shide, story time with Gary Scheide is fantastic. You so guys ought to be proud. Game. You ought to be proud. I am. I I, I sat down. I, I have nothing to do with baseball broadcast. I sat down at 6.45 last night. I did not move a muscle until 10 <laughs> because I was watching the baseball game. I and know. Warriors Spurs and Stanford UCLA men's volleyball because that affects BYU. That does. And uh, that, Stanford that's, lost, so yeah. the, the door is open. If BYU wins the next two matches, which they will and should, against USC this weekend, tonight and tomorrow, on BYU TV, then BYU is going to win the outright conference championship. So mm-hmm. I was so enthralled <laughs> with the baseball game last night that that was the first time I'd, lo- I'd watched like a, a lot of a game. I had dabbled here and there. I but, dabbed a lot. Well, you got to get ready for volleyball, though. I don't know how you yeah. could ever even watch a game because you've got to go cram for volleyball. Brill cream, a little dab will do ya. No, 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 no. Don't use brill cream because that's one of the signs of creepy. <laughs> oh. <laughs> the, the greasy hair. Please, boys, remember. We taught you that for a reason. What do you think of the Warriors? I think the Warriors have won 70 games, and that's ridiculous. One of yeah, two teams crazy. ever. That's huge. Do you Warrior, think uh, the, the Spurs went after it, too? Yeah, I know they did. They do you played th- their guys. Do you think they'll be able to, to get the next three? Memphis has clinched a playoff spot already. At San Antonio. But I at know. San Antonio Ooh. is the season, or is it the penultimate game? Penultimate the, game. Okay. Um, that's going to be interesting. Yeah, that'll be huge. And, and I, they I, want to yeah, ruin that. I think you that. need to go after it. You're right you do. there. You got Finish it. It's the race. All out. You got to do it. Even if you got to take a knee out, you do what you got to do. Oh. I mean, not, yeah, that sounded evil. <laughs> yeah, yeah, careful. Man. I didn't mean it in an creepy. evil way. I meant it in a nice way. Hey, I also have a really great dessert for you guys if you're looking for dessert. Yes, we need to yes, win please. the conference. Yeah. Uh, deep fried pork and cream egg. Oh. Nope. It's, it's really big nope. in England. You take a Cadbury cream egg. Oh. You cover it in a pork casing. You then deep fry it for eight minutes and bada boom, bada bing. You got a piece of heaven. If I'm at a state fair and I'm really hungry, maybe that's all that's left. Maybe. Maybe. You do that. You guys. Down in Spanish, as they say, down in Spanish. Down in Spanish, fart. Down in Spanish, go see the rodeo. Yeah. Go to Costco, then go to the rodeo. (laughs) Down in Spanish. Yeah, is that is that, that's a in do, South Utah Valley? Do they ever say down in up in American? Up in American, <laughs> another fork. We down have two forks Grove. here in Utah County. Hey, uh, what's coming up on your show? I don't know. What are we doing today, Jeremy? A lot of sports content. 
Okay, but, good. Uh, yeah, that's the we, sports we're show. Talk about uh, BYU men's basketball is not in the first bracketology of 2017 uh, for Joe Lenardi of ESPN. Scoff! Does that mean anything? Scoff. Does it mean something? What does it mean? We're going to yeah. discuss that. Colton Shaver, baseball team. He's top five hitter in the NCAA in batting average. He'll join us in the studio. Sweet. Plus Michael Hatch of number one ranked men's volleyball. Man. The senior starter. It's, it's these other sports that, are, that really lift BYU. Number one rugby begins their pursuit of a fifth straight national championship tomorrow at Arizona State, by the way. How cool. Varsity Cup quarterfinals. Man. See? You got to be proud. You know how we do. (laughs) (laughs) Has your mother not corrected that yet? (laughs) Your mother needs to call. uh, In the words of Jamal Williams, our great (laughs) running back at BYU, just a couple of middle-aged vanilla men. That's really, really good. (laughs) (laughs) Which ain't... <laughs> well, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna leave our two vanilla men to go do their show. Top of the hour, guys. BYU Sports Nation. Thanks for being on. You got it. We'll be ready. You guys rock and roll. Two of the white vanilla men with long hands and big bulgy eyes. <laughs> Not creeps, though. <laughs> no comment. You guys are awesome. Have fun. Okay, good stuff, man. Uh, <laughs> I'm telling you, it's Friday. It's Friday. Hey, did you hear this uh, this crazy um, story? I don't know. I, I don't know where we call it. I mean, I guess we call it this. Bad boys, bad boys. In the bad boys category, a, Minis- a Minnesota boy goes on a joyride in a. Uh, I can't. Why can I say that? a joyride in a stolen cement truck? Young boy stole a cement truck, smashed two police cars as he led officers on a high speed chase in Minnesota. Up, he got the truck up to 70 miles an hour, according to the sheriff's office. The boy, whose name has not been released, stole the cement mixer around 3 p.m. on Sunday from a contractor who had left the keys in the vehicle. He started on Highway 14, lost his front tire at one point, but that didn't stop him from driving through residential streets for more than an hour before they finally got him to stop. The chase eventually ended when the boy drive, dro- or drove into a dead end and was arrested when he tried to flee on foot. Guess how old the boy is. Anybody want to guess? Anybody want to guess? Hold on, hold on. Nope, nope, nope. You'll look. He's um, 11 14. years old. Oh, dang it. Yeah, it was on Highway 14. Uh, the suspect is an 11-year-old resident of, of um, where is it? Kason. Kason. Um, and this boy, 11. I mean, think about what you were doing at 11. I'm surprised he was able to get it going. It's probably a stick shift. Apparently, he drove around the town. It's a small town. Six or seven times. He had to, like, circumnavigate the town six or seven times. He was smiling, hooting, and hollering. He was having a good time. Yeah, well, let's see how he likes prison. (laughs) Try him as an adult. Have fun, pal. As you know, we always like to end the show on a hero story. And what better story than a teacher who's willing to donate a kidney to her sixth student? Uh, A Wisconsin teacher made the potentially life-changing announcement that she was going to donate a kidney to her student. Uh, This all took place at Oakfield Elementary School District. The video was put out by the school district about uh, and showed um, the teacher Jody Schmidt surprised the family of student Natasha Fuller with the news that she was a match to donate her kidney. 
to announce her decision to be a donor. Schmidt invited Natasha's grandmother, Chris Burlton, to the school last week under the guise that the staff wanted to give her a gift for taking care of her granddaughter. She presented Burlton with a pink present with a message inside that she was a match to be a kidney donor for Natasha. You? Oh, my gosh, the grandma expressed. She said in the video, bursting into tears, here I thought I was coming to the school because she was being naughty. Anyway, uh, a teacher, folks, willing to give up her kidney for one of her students. Schmidt said she felt she was the right person to donate. I'm so excited. She said, I figured I'm O-negative blood, and it it did just come to me that maybe I could be that right person in that certain place and time for a reason. After reading and finding out from the doctors that she's a match and she and the grandma read it on the card, Natasha thanked and hugged her teacher. But after the adults asked if she knew what a match meant, the student shook her head and said no. But uh, now they're going to explain that her teacher will be giving her a kidney. Amazing, folks. That is why we do the show right there. That good feeling that we feel when we um, hear of people serving people and people loving uh, others. That's why we live. That's why we are who we are. And uh, you don't have to give a kidney to be a hero. Sometimes you just got to give your life, your time, your attention, your focus, maybe forgiveness, maybe a little patience. So this weekend, do what you got to do to be a hero to somebody. Lift someone else's life by losing yours a little bit. And uh, we'll be back again Monday. More ideas, more tools to help you see the good in the world. Until then, take care of each other. And uh, we'll be back Monday.